not all podcasters are created equal. This is the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show. Podcast. Providing you with complete, detailed, and always educational perspectives when it comes to television, feature films, DVDs, Blu-rays, and the hottest in online entertainment. This week, it's two guys talking... A Star Wars Story, Rogue One, 2016, directed by Gareth Edwards. Star Wars might have begun long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, but the franchise, the zeal, and fandom of Star Wars fans around the world thrives. With new standalone movies, the next three episodes arriving, and more drama on and off screen, well, the Star Wars experience is alive and well. In 1977, we reveled in the release of Star Wars the tale of a young boy who finally was inspired to become a man, to find his place in the galaxy, and to bring balance to the universe. But before even that began, there was also another tale, another story, that started with the concept of the plans for the weapon. We've been thinking about that now for almost 40 years. As the 40th anniversary of Star Wars arrives, it's time for an entirely overdue focus for two guys talking. Grab your Death Stormtrooper armor, stow away your kyber crystals, and join us as we join Jin Erso, a ragtag bunch of rebels, and Star Wars fandom for the perspective review of Rogue One here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris DiGiuseppe, your other host. And I'm Pat Doring, another host. What a very special gathering for Perspective Review here, launching our giant Two Guys Talking coverage in regard to Star Wars. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us, Mike. We appreciate it. You bet. Uh, There is a ton to talk about inside of this movie that was not even an idea when the original film came out. It was just uh, almost an accidental script edition. And so I'm, I'm super excited to talk about it here. First, some quick housekeeping. Free field training. Chris, you'll remember one of our favorite compadres inside of law enforcement is a cop serving in South Chicago, Tommy Model. And Tommy, always in our prayers and on our minds, hope that he is doing well and, and his safety. We always look out for him being up in some possibly dicey times up yeah, there. Yeah. But true uh, professional to law enforcement has some great stuff in his podcast. Yeah, his his videos on YouTube are legend. We're going to link over to them, but you can get to them right now by going over to freefieldtraining.com. Remember, you can also find all of his videos over on Facebook. They run through a variety of things, not only dealing with law enforcement, but also a bunch of security-based stuff. So that if you are interested in either pursuing law enforcement as a career or perhaps have a job inside the security industry, it's an absolute place you must go and visit to learn more about gear, about thought inside of law enforcement, but more important, training, that's free. That's Tommy Model over at freefieldtraining.com. Check them out. Tell them Two Guys Talking sent you. The Code of Silence Perspective Review. If you guys thought this podcast was going to be a long one, the Code of Silence Perspective <laughs> Review is even longer. It, it also features Tommy Model from uh, South Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Chris and I also jumped in on that one, and it was fun. Uh, we run through detail inside of that that focuses, again, not only on law enforcement, but what you see inside of Hollywood's cone of showcase versus what is actually real inside of the law enforcement experience. Really. Absolutely. Very, very telling. And to compare what uh, the Hollywood perspective, especially back in the era that that movie was shot, <laughs> yeah. and what's realistic. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that have forgotten, that's the Chuck Norris vehicle in the mid-80s or early 80s actually mm -hmm. uh, anyway we're going to have uh, links to all those over at the show notes for this episode over at two guys talking star wars.com uh, you can also link to that from anywhere over in what cops where we're gonna we're gonna bridge all this stuff over and i'm curious pat have you ever seen code of silence i do but it's been a long time i used to be a big chuck norris guy, yeah so. well what do you remember of uh I, I, I of really code of silence I nothing i can't can't picture it in my head right now. I know I've seen we can, it. Before. We can just... sum we can sum it up for you. It's it's like this. It's a it's a mediocre movie that comes in at about a five, but because Chuck Norris in it, it pushes it up to about an eight. You don't put Chuck Norris in anything without right. pushing it up. Well, now that Chris has blown the entire lid off the <laughs> off the secret of Code of Silence Perception Review, and and my disclaimer is I can't remember what we rated it. So uh, anyway, it's a great romp. It's super educational, and you'll find that over at twoguystalking.com as well as well as whatcopswatch.com. All right, gents, it's time to grab your blasters, grab the plans for the weapon, because it's time for the Two Guys Talking Star Wars Perspective Review, A Star Wars Story, Rogue One, 2016, directed by Gareth Edwards. The Hype! Ah, the hype for yet another Star Wars vehicle, this time Rogue One. Chris, do you remember the first time you heard about this film coming out? I do. I was intrigued. And I think that we need to start out the hype with going back to how epic A New Hope was. If yeah. you can take a sliver, maybe it was even just one line of script from a movie and make an entire, another movie out of it. completely out of it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's got to be an epic movie. And when we go back to A New Hope, that one scene where they have uh, Mon Mothma, Mm -hmm. talking about the the plans for the Death Star and the one line of script that many people gave their lives for this information. Mm -hmm. They made an entire movie out of that. Yeah. And it took. Yeah. It took because, you know, you wonder about the historical content. How did that come about? How did it lead up to that point? Mm -hmm. It was great. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, that that right there sets the basis for the hype. Yeah, when we get to the 70% mark of this film, we'll be talking more about history mm -hmm. and how history... Air quotes. Right. Inside of Star Wars really does matter, especially right. the people that are voracious Star Wars people. Right. And that they can take a tiny little squib of a comment out of the script and make an entire film based on it that is salient. Right. I, I call that magic. Pat, how about you? Yeah, I was really excited, especially after seeing the trailer. Unfortunately, a lot of stuff in the trailer didn't make the cut for some reason. I'm not I, sure. We're definitely going to talk about that when we but get to even, the end. I think they, I don't know if they did that purposely <coughs> or not, but it, I think it... it Intrigued a lot of people, so I mean... Well, I, I totally agree, and I think sometimes they build that in for films, although with something as big as a Star Wars property, I don't... I'm trying to remember the other film inside of a franchise that was as big as a Star Wars film where you've got something like that. Right, yeah. And I, right off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Uh, what I remember most about this is that I remember the big deal was that it was going to stand alone. Right, right. The, the standalone concept of films, I think, works really, really well. And it's not because I'm a book reader of the Star Wars stuff, which is exactly the same thing. All of the books that are inside of the Star Wars cone, Chris, stop me right. if I'm wrong, 
are essentially all standalone films. They they yeah. they might dovetail or have pieces that latch on, right? Just like this one does, right? But if you were to pick one up, read it, you might recognize maybe some of the character names, right? But the concepts, you know, the concept of the Empire, the concept of the Jedi Council, the concepts of good and bad inside right. of the struggle, all of that is akin to everything across the across the swath. Of Star Wars, and I think that's why it succeeds. But along the lines of storytelling, standalone is mandatory. Yeah. When when we went into uh, publishing and writing books and such, that's the first thing that literary agent or publisher is going to tell you. Mm -hmm. You can write a series, but make sure that they stand alone. Make sure Mike Wilkerson can pick up that second book or watch that second movie, and it still stands out. Yeah. And it can stand on its own two feet. Yeah. But then th that's what they push, and for good reason. Well, I, I love that, but I also love that the structure of this film, it's like a Lego. It right. snaps directly into the lore of right. everything Star Wars. Everything in it, regardless of whether or not it's a name that you've heard previously or a design that you've kind of seen, like some mm -hmm. of the ships. Some of the ships are incredibly <clears throat> familiar. Right. But they are definitively different inside this film. And yet it has a beginning and an end. It has closure, and that's that's where you get the standalone. Yeah. Well, and that really gets back into something that you talk about a lot inside of our reviews, Chris, which is the opening and closing of loops. Right. The opening and closing of loops is not just about just characters. It's right. about the entire storyline. Correct. And they do that wonderfully inside this film. We'll talk about more of that as we get going here. Uh, the last thing we talk about inside the hype is, where did you see this, Pat? Did you see it locally? Um, first? Yeah, the I first think, I think I I think we were at uh, the Darden Prairie movie theater. I think that, okay, that was the only one. So you was. saw it in the theater first, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Chris. Same same yeah. with me. Yeah, okay. we yeah. went and we saw it in the theater, and yeah. uh, it, I thought it was a great experience. Uh, th this the is one of the few franchises that I think is required screening inside oh, of a uh, motion mm -hmm. picture screen. I, yep. There are many. In fact, um, just in the last year, there's been some where I thought I would have never waited, but I have. Right. Me too. And I, I think it might just be because of busy life syndrome. But the right. Star Wars films are all yeah, ones are that you must get theater. to the movie theater. Right. Definitely. And that's um, how it started out. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it started out when uh, the first one I saw when I was a kid yeah. it was in the theater. Yeah. And it's one of the most epic movies that, in my childhood that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really funny, too, is as the paradigm of movie theaters changes, mm -hmm. what it's now scooting towards is becoming, you know, kind of that now gargantuan man cave that you right. had at home, mm -hmm. except that now you can get out and the chairs are always comfy and clean and there are fewer seats and right. it's incredibly cold, which I love, by the way. Yeah. Right. I love going into a nice cold theater with a nice cushy chair and I get to watch whatever it is I'm watching. Right. I love that. And uh, I, I went and saw it uh, locally at the gargantuan galaxy screen that we have here. Mm -hmm. It's one of the largest screens in the in the state of Missouri. And, you know, it was epic. It was all digital, and it, 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 there wasn't there wasn't anything that didn't look good. I think that's what I what I really appreciate about this, is that not only does it tile the lore, the looks, the pieces, parts of the story, but mm -hmm. it takes everything that is that visual stamp of Star Wars and right, right. on a, every single thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you grab a prop out of anybody's hand anywhere inside the film and you go, oh, that's from Star Wars. Right. right. And, and I really appreciate that attention to detail. It really does matter. Right. The money. Ah, the money question. The question I always love to ask my guest hosts because they are not cheating by looking at the skeleton that I sent with the numbers. In <laughs> I didn't it. look so, at it. Okay, good. <laughs> what we do here is we try and figure out what this movie took in domestically, but then took in the foreign take and then, of course, worldwide. Chris, I lean over to you and say, Chris, what do you think this took in domestically, Chris? I don't know domestically. Probably uh, 700, and, 700 million. 
Okay, that's that's close. And how about you, Pat? <laughs> that's what I was. It was probably around six six. I'd say six hundred million. I don't know. Six hundred like million. Okay. Well, if we were playing prices right, Pat wins mm-hmm. because it's five hundred and thirty-two million dollars in okay. on this to date. It's also one of the reasons why we do not do like it came out last weekend, and now we're reviewing it because I want people to understand what the word when I say the words five hundred and thirty-two million dollars, mm-hmm. that has way more sway than the hundred and thirty-two million dollars right. it made in the first week and a half. Right. And I, I want people to understand that as we record this now. Uh, only a year later, it's made more than ha- it's made. It's made. Well, I can't tell you how much it's made yet because we haven't we done have any guessed. Right. The foreign take, Chris. You're guessing the foreign take. The foreign take only or total? Uh, just the foreign take, and then we'll total them up here in a minute. The foreign take's got to be, I would say, another five hundred million. Okay, and Mr. Pat, I'll stick with my six hundred million. Six hundred million. Well, Chris wins on oh. this one. So, sorry, no toast for the folks. Mm-hmm. A total for this, or over a billion, a billion dollars. Billion, right. And that's really exciting. Because well, in, that's, that's incredible, for especially for the one of the in-between. Right. You know, I expect mm-hmm. that from The Force Awakens. Right. Yeah. I expect that from the main titles. But for, a, you know, the in-between uh, movies that they do, that's incredible. Yeah. That is, that is Good Starting stuff. what is essentially a bunch of nobodies, right? Yeah. And I think that it is really was huge to be a low budget. Yeah, the concept was it was just going to be a low budget. Well, and see, I th- we'll talk more about that inside the franchise, but I think that <clears> they <throat> they pulled a lot of that off. Oh, yeah, sure. Even though this was epic budget, although you know what, looking at the, the production budget on this, it was um, I'm going to say only, but it was only 200 million, which isn't which isn't high. No, for, yeah. for all the I mean, they had quite a bit of. Uh, visual effects and things yeah. like that in there and not uh, only visual effects but they also touched the button that I love to go back to every single time in one of these reviews they had practical effects sure right. lots of the special effects inside of this are practical and then the ones that you see that are digital you didn't even really realize that they were digital right. that's how it's supposed to work right. and that's why a movie like this in its now just over right. a, not not even a year has made over a billion dollars right kudos to them yeah the good every movie that we review here at two guys talking regardless of what flavor it is has the good where we recognize character portrayals actor showcases or things inside the film that made it sing no scroll and jumping right in a lot of people were whining that this quote didn't have a scroll how can it be inside the same family of movies without a scroll and the scroll that we're referring to are the golden letters that start at the bottom of the screen up to the right. top of the screen that you get to read before the movie actually starts. It didn't need it. And I love that it didn't have it, mostly because it allows it to stand on its own. Right. This is it's absolutely tagging along, but the storyline is a seed of something that came before, but it absolutely stands on its own, and I think this helps it do that. I thought the letters were coming afterwards. I actually watched it. It went right into the first scene, and I thought, well, maybe they'll maybe they'll throw those in there after, but it didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Um, I it, thought, you know, getting right into the storyline right off the bat mm-hmm. was a good call. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they threw in the, you know, a galaxy far, far away, whatever. I can't even remember what it is anymore, you know? Yeah. I mean, they, the tag, you know, the tagline of Star Wars was there, but then you didn't have your your scroll. Which, yeah. You know, and like you said, it just went straight into the... This was also... Uh, well, actually, it was the second film, but it was the second film that had come out since the Disney acquisition. Right. And so what is completely missing is that... None of that is in there anymore. For those of us that have been watching Star Wars since 1977 across... 
way too many movies mm-hmm. that, that is missed, and it's something that is completely different, but I think it's a good different, which is why it's in the good list. The established relationships and running forward. Well, you talked this about tremendous. You talked about a bunch of the actors were more or less not huge names and huge talent. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, I thought the acting was superior when we start out in this totally first agree. scene. And what do they start out with? Family. Yeah, I loved well, it. You what know? I, what I also love too is, and this is something that I realized since the perspective review of ET. I think it might have been the first time I actually recognized that. Mm -hmm. But what Spielberg and Ilk that follow Spielberg, very much like Gareth Edwards, who is a giant Spielberg devotee, Mm -hmm. what they're able to do with things like this, Lucas and Spielberg devotee, what they're able to do with things like this is they're able to take a family, Mm -hmm. break the family, and then make the broken family endearing to whatever is going on. Right, right. Right away. It's magic. They, they do it so quickly inside of the front end of this, and you would think, man, they're, they're just skipping right over things. Well, you get to skip right over things when there's more story to hold it all together. Right, right. and even a, even a minor part, we the first scene when you have uh, the Urso family of Jin, Galen, and the mother, who I, I had to go and look up the name, I hope I pronounce this like Lyra or Lyra, mm-hmm. Urso, Lyra. Yeah. Lyra Urso. Uh, played by Valene Kane. Yep. She had how long in this movie? A minute or About, so, yeah. But still, <laughs> kudos. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't just throw somebody in there that couldn't handle the part. Yeah, thought she did an epic job. Yeah. So well, Pat, it, something know. that you recognize inside of our twenty four podcast dot com efforts was that even the actors that don't last very long right. inside of those shows, yeah. they're always at least holding their own. Right. Yeah. And I can't tell you how appreciated that is because it helps to paint the picture of what you're watching as a real story. Right. As opposed to just uh, let's throw this dude in and okay. And you don't have to worry about that inside of this film at all for mm-hmm. any of the characters, regardless of how big right. or small the roles are. And with that being said, uh, Galen Urso, has been in a lot of movies. Uh, you know, great yeah. Danish actor. He's been in uh, Hannibal. He's mm-hmm. been in Doctor Strange and Casino Royale. Yeah. And his performance in Doctor Strange, I thought, was great. Mm-hmm. So, Doctor Strange is great. Uh, that that uh, Casino Royale performance that you put on. You know, when you say quintessential Bond villains... No one yeah. will, I won't say no one, but very few will, would have known his name when he was the Bond villain. Right. And I, I would tell you, I don't even know his name. I do recognize his face, and he's always excellent, regardless of what role he's in. Yeah. Uh, he's got that look that you're not used yep. to, but he's yep. also got the voice and the accent that you can't quite pin. Right. And that's what makes him a great actor and able to step into roles like this one. This one's great because not only does he provide really great dashing father figure stuffs, but he realizes that while he does need to be a cog in the machine, he's going to make sure that there is a sabot to throw into the machine even after he's gone. Right. I, I really appreciated that inside of this, that you know there is a master plan for the good guys too. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. I think that might be the most endearing piece of what I find about this movie, even though the movie, you know, the movie runs two hours and 14 minutes, I mm-hmm. think. It's a long movie. It is. But that is the bottom line, is that there was a guy that knew that he was in the middle of the creation of something incredibly dastardly. Right. But realized that there was a way to win in the end. Right. The Death Troopers. Pat, you and I were talking about this yeah. as we walked in. Yeah. We were talking about it, and if you, if you listen, they're not speaking normal English. You can't hear what they're saying. And then right. You, and you go back, and you're like, well, what are they? Well, if you watch any of the bonus scenes or anything else, you realize, well, they're they're like a special forces of the stormtroopers. So all their stuff is basically encrypted. So nobody else can intercept their 
and know the what communications, right. you know, which yeah. makes sense, you know, that that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, that well, I think it was even a cooler concept. Yeah. And so yeah. you as a real life crisis negotiator, are you and your team ready to find mm-hmm. out a way to install the encrypted voiceover stuff so that yeah, nobody in particular right. super duper chief doing, DJ yeah. here knows what you're doing? Yeah. We're talking about all the brass and everything. When <laughs> just in, yeah. order him to tell yeah. me what he's doing. <laughs> So awesome. that's how we get around that. Yeah, that was great. The, the look of them, oh, yeah. I mean, is spectacular. If, if, if mm-hmm. I were to take Absolutely. the reasonably jackass holding the, the, the rifle wrong stormtrooper of 1977 right. and stand him next to one of the, of the death troopers oh, yeah. inside of this, I mean, it's not even, it's not even night and day. And so when they, when they sprinkle things like this through the movie that was not yet made, Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I do want to know why, though, did they not make more of these teams? And I mean, obviously, it's because we don't want to CGI them inside of the other right. films. But seeing how reasonably proficient these stormtroopers are versus the ones that I guess just got out of basic, right, <laughs> or on, right. on proby duty yeah, inside know. of their stormtrooperness, right. I, I'm not sure about that. But the, the the death the death troopers are something to marvel at for sure. And it was one more caveat just to start off the introduction of one of the main villains, Enter Orson Krennic. Mm -hmm. He's just one of the characters that's the epitome of the Empire. Yeah. You know, with the attitude, the arrogance. Right off the bat, we have this face-off, this confrontation between Mm -hmm. him and Galen, and I think that it sets the tone. There's a line in that where Galen comes back and says, you're confusing peace with terror, and it sets the tone. You know, they've built this weapon Galen, you know, most likely had good intentions in the beginning and figured out that this is going to be an epic instrument of terror. Yeah. Really got Sets from, the tone for the movie, I think. Yeah. What I really got from that first scene, there's a, a small quote where essentially I think it's the wife that says, you're going to take him and you're going to blah, 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 whatever it yeah, is he's going to right. do. And he goes, no, no. I'm going to take you all right, right to yeah. s- right to set his to to, <laughs> to, to set out his as, mindset yeah. and, and and well not only that but to be able to use them as crutches in the future yeah, to get right. him to do what distinguish they want. him as as yeah. a fairly evil yeah uh, villain yeah. And the other thing that I caught and I didn't catch it the first time around was he actually gave the order to kill her yeah. before she shot yeah so yeah. I didn't catch that until right. I watched it the second time around I thought she shot at him and then. The uh, stormtrooper killed her, well, but it wasn't. Maybe he said, "Go ahead and do it." The stormtrooper shot her, and she It'll shot. Released fifteen out of... years later, maybe it'll be, <laughs> it'll be the other way around. The other way around. Way around. No, maybe know. Greedo will show yeah, up, right, and she'll yeah. end up killing him. Yeah, yeah too Let's funny. Hope not. Too funny. <laughs> Establishing the good and bad characters, endearment and hatred. Score. This is exactly what you were just talking about. We're introduced to Krennic. We're introduced to this morass of silent, mm-hmm. deadly. Black armored death troopers. Right. There's no doubt of what's going on here. Right. Like, without question, you can see that the guy that lives on this kind of farmland in the middle of nowhere is not the bad guy. Right. Right. But the bad guys are coming to recruit him to help them with whatever bad things they want to do. And, oh, by the way, he has family here. Right. I I love that. Again, it helps you to pile on to a side of whom you're going to support through the story, but it gives you just enough question marks to wonder, wait a minute, tell me more about this guy. And that is an endearing villain. That's when you look at stories and you go, well, I want to know more about the villain. It's where you kind of feel dirty 
Because like, well, oh, I've, do I want to know more about the villain? I do want to know more about the villain. Well, and and side by side, you want to stack him up. How? Wh- what type of power and influence does he hold within this within the empire? What? How bad is he compared to all the other villains? And I guess this would be a good time also to bring up too our top ten list that we're going to put together mm-hmm. by the end of all these podcasts. We mm-hmm. want to put together a top ten list: the most prolific villains within all eight movies and the most prolific heroes. And, you know, maybe the obvious ones will come out on top, but there are so many characters through these Star Wars movies. I think we need to get it down and reach out to the audience. So start thinking about who's the top. Yeah. Who's number two? Who's number three? Yeah. We're also going to talk about a specific character list of people Mm -hmm. that are inside the cone of the stories in this story. Bottom line is that this movie is able to come up very quickly Mm -hmm. with characters that are good, characters that are bad, but more importantly, the fire to either like or hate the characters that are introduced. Correct. Right, right. And that sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah. The promise of an adventure. As we meet Forrest Whitaker inside of this film, Sagarera, there are a bunch of potential promises that are made as this film starts. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll talk about some of those inside of the negatives for this film. But that's one of the ones that I really liked. As you quickly meet him as the hatch opens. Right. And then you go, wow, what does this movie hold for us? Right, right. And you're instantly eyes wide open. A little bit of promise that's not fulfilled inside of the film. But the promise that's given to you is excellent. In fact, when I first saw the character, I didn't even recognize him. I'll bet you didn't. Forrest Whitaker. Mm-hmm. It, and, it's because and you did, didn't and, watch him in The Shield, and he did, by the way. <laughs> that's probably it. Um, and uh, but, but his transformation with the voice oh, yeah. and getting into the character, he does an excellent job. Yeah. He, he, he does an awesome job in just about everything I've ever seen him in. Again, yeah, not to gloss definitely. over The Shield quickly. But in that, there's transformative powers inside of that one, too, where he goes from kind of this hefty, overweight guy to, in the course of six months, he turns into this incredibly strung-out, thin dude Mm-hmm. That is watching his own career crumble. Yeah, right. The, not only the physical change, but just the attitudinal change that he provides inside that role. That one role, he does that in so many movies that he's in. There's this incredibly reasonably bad movie that he's in. I don't remember what it's called. It's something like Eagle or Talon or something like that. But inside that movie, he plays this dude that lives on the outskirts of something and drives a truck and is kind of a murderer. Mm-hmm. The movie's not very good at all. But when you go, wait a second, is that Forrest Whitaker? Mm-hmm. You, you really do realize the range that he's got. King of Scotland is another one, if you haven't seen that. have not. Oh, man, that movie, that will blow your mind. Hmm. You can see, look, it's Forrest Whitaker, plump and round. But you're like, who is that guy? Yeah, right. It's a, it's a, it's a complete departure from what you think. Okay, so they're going to shove in Forrest Whitaker, right? Right. It's a complete departure than what you'd think. Well, and that's, that's, that's a good actor. I mean, you know, to pull that off, I tip my hat to him. More later about the look that that character has, we want to talk a little bit about the armor and things like that that he's wearing. We'll get to that later on. Sure. Actually, this is a good place to talk about it, isn't yeah, it? Do it or, uh, no, he, there's actually some because more about him later better, on. There's a better yeah. shot of him when he actually meets Jin. Yeah. And he's no, that's breathing well said. through that mask. Mike, I'll only give you about a two on that Thank uh, you. Darth Vader breathing. You need, we're going to have to practice that. I, I'll be sure to put in some, some sound there for you. Okay. In fact, I'll get, a, I'll get you snoring and then we won't have to worry about it. <laughs> well, right? I would get a higher rating. <laughs> Let's see some scan docs. Yeah. I mentioned this because 
for those of you that don't already know, Chris is a police officer. Pat is a police officer. And, of course, they walk around asking people for papers all the time. Right. Papers, please. Right. Right. <laughs> no, and, but what, what struck me inside of this is that here are the stormtroopers you know, running they, around being miscreant law enforcement yeah, people re- going, Scandocs, please. Right. I remember that. Do you remember, Pat, that, that little satire skit that they did called Troops? Oh, it was yeah. like a takeoff <laughs> yeah. of yeah, yeah, I do remember that. We'll link yeah, that up in the very, show notes. Very right. entertaining. Very, very entertaining. Super entertaining. Um, not yeah. accurate. That is not how law enforcement works. But <laughs> Maybe um, how stormtroopers work. But they, but yeah, apparently that's how uh, that's how the imperial faction of law enforcement works. I remember their their logo was all suspects are guilty. Period. Right. You know yeah. that was it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, this was excellent. And again, it's another sample of you seeing something on the screen that lends itself to real life that's familiar. I appreciate that because it grounds what you're seeing, even though it's. I mean, it's complete fantasy. We don't right. we don't have anything that is like this. But we have a whole bunch of what you see inside right. of us. And it's the lead-in to introduce one of our other main characters. The intro of Cassian Andor, he's meeting up with this uh, confidential informant. Mm-hmm. And it's a typical Star Wars setting. You know, the busy marketplace. You've got, there's no lack of detail with, you know, the different uh, types of aliens and, right. and surroundings and stuff like that. That's and epic Star Wars. flying overhead. Yep. Yeah. There's and, all kinds of stuff And, going and on good there. stuff. And they do that throughout the movie. But he's meeting up with this confidential informant. You get this tidbit of not only the weapon, the Death Star, but you expect that because you've seen the other movies and mm-hmm. such. But they also go into this mention of why they're on this planet mining these crystals. And the crystals are to power the Death Star. But the crystals also relate, and as we see this later on in the movie, have some relationship to lightsabers. Mm-hmm. And throughout, if you, and I do a lot of reading of a lot of the books. And lore, and I know Pat also has done some reading of the books and the video games, the backstories of the video games. The crystals, the lightsaber crystals, are a big portion oh, of yeah. that lore. You know, where they come from, the mysterious crystals, the way that uh, they go through some ritual, putting the lightsabers together, and so on and so forth. So, to me, when I see something like this, that's a hook. And I'm like, I want to know more. They're mining it from this right. particular planet. And uh, as you see, they don't let you down later on in the movie. They wrap that back in. That's great mm-hmm. storytelling, opening a loop, closing a loop, wrapping that in. Yeah. So it's good stuff. As we go on in this scene, one of the other things that we have to mention is it gets to the point where they're going to be made, and uh, I guess the confidential informant has, uh, I don't know, I guess he's got an injury to his arm. Oh, I won't be able to climb up. And Cassian kills him. He just outright murders him. And, Shot in uh, the back, it, no less. It sets, it sets the tone. Even though this is a rebellion and and we you know we despise the evil empire and so on and so forth, they're not all that righteous either. Right. I mean, it, it it's you know for the cause, we'll take somebody out, somebody yeah. innocent. Uh, first, to go back to kyber uh, kyber crystals, being able to drag lore mm-hmm. that matters that people care at all about through a movie, right, is good. Oh yeah, yeah. And I hate it when movies bring it up and then it just. It just disappears. Right. And that's not I think the that's case really there. disingenuous when they do it. Right. And they're able to, I'm saying the word drag intentionally because it's like a giant body that you must watch right. throughout the film. And I love that. It gives reason, it's intent. And in particular, because if it powers this giant weapon, well, you know that somewhere there's somebody cracking a whip to say, okay, time to go get some more. Right. Well, and it's really cool I love about that. The beginning when the, the mom gives. Her, uh, that crystal, crystal. Right. It's a Kybar crystal. Right. Mm. You know, and it kind of, it all brings it into, you know, 
And that's what that's that's my point. As they they continue that story, they continue to touch on that throughout, and the link between good and evil. That's always the classic story, you know, the yeah. evil taking taking that particular resource, using it for this epic weapon, but also that's that's the very heart of the thing that the side of the light, you know, the the good side uses yeah. for their. Their weapons. What I also love is that they didn't take that, oh, it's mommy giving daughter a crystal. Right. That's awesome. And then the crystal becomes like the thing she puts into this right. this thing that she, no, the, the just, MacGuffin that she finds in a pile of treasure. They touch on it. And it, it right. saves the day. Yeah. Right. They didn't bother doing that. No. And I really am appreciative that they didn't. That would have cheapened it. Right. To the point where why on earth did you just drag this kyber crystal thing throughout the entire storyline? I love that. Right. Yeah. Showcasing the level of intent, dedication, and motivation. What I'm referring to here is a little bit controversial, especially when we start talking about it, inside of a movie review, in particular, mm-hmm. with a couple of cops. Sure. Because inside of movies and television, you always wonder to yourself, oh, Al-Qaeda, well, they're bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, ISIS, well, they're bad. Right. What you have to, you don't have to understand, but if you really want to understand the situation... If you're standing in the shoes of an ISIS or Al Qaeda fighter, yeah. well, you guys are the bad guys. Right. Well, sure. I mean, everybody and, has their perspective. Right. You know, you take a look at the the outcomes, though, the carnage and the murder and the things that they represent, the terror that they represent, and clearly, it is an organization that's rooted in evil right. and dedicated to harming people. Right. And so. and the motivation part, you, what you just brought in here, are two of the three parts here. The motivation part is in particular in this instance, that Cassian has to get the information, but no one else can know right. what the information is. Right. And so you're like, okay, so I guess that guy's got to die. Right. And so this is where the controversial part comes in because it needs to become a light bulb moment. Right. But it's a light bulb moment so that this audience can understand the story, but you don't agree with it. Right. Murdering outright is not right. good. We're right. all agreed on that. But what's funny, though, is he. Do- there's a lot of different things that he's faced with yes. throughout the movie and you see he changes almost. yes right I well you can almost see him brings it into it you know, yeah. he, in the beginning he, he'll do whatever he has to and then you can see that the character changes the more the further you get into the movie yeah. right and when you go back yeah. to the imperial side they'll say oh no he's a terrorist right. right but when you look at the imperial side with tone that they set forth painting the villains and the bad guys you know slavery oppression evil they you know out and out murder people also and this rebellion that's supposed to be this resistance and the heroes and the freedom fighters and things like that. But they paint a realistic picture. They also, you know, in this first scene they have where they, he actually murders somebody, which isn't righteous, which I don't agree with, which right. you don't agree with. Right. This is the hero that we're supposed to be getting behind. So to try to loop it in, when you talk about real-world terrorism and such, I've seen documentaries where they've tried to break down the psychological mindset makeup right and mm-hmm. the psychological mindset of a lot of these modern day terrorists are no we're the heroes we're, we're the ones that are going in to save the day and the evil empire is america are the is people the, running is around the, in the is the, is in the tans in right? the stand know, like, stormtrooper outfits. now now mm-hmm. you know incorrect right but that's the mindset i saw a documentary with a i believe it was a retired cia agent who said, yeah, you've got to understand, when you guys watch all these movies where you have the underdog taking on you know, the big establishment and that, these terrorist mindsets are 
they are the rebellion, yeah. you know, and the and the empire. Or you know, you look at uh, the Hunger Games, you know, the government the boot of oppression, right? right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the picture yeah. that's painted, yeah, with a lot of the mindset. They're wrong, but you know, <laughs> yeah. and I don't agree with it. But that's uh, yeah. that's the way that it was outlined. It's one of the things. This kind of reminds me of. I remember the first time you and I were talking about the television series uh, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically telling you how ornate the storytelling was. Right. But more importantly, how against it I was when I first heard, wait a minute, they're coming out with a television show about a meth dealer. Well, and it's because the basic concept of I'm going to glorify a criminal. You know, I'm going to glorify right, right. a well, and That's exactly where I'm going. And, and so what happened was you'd mentioned that there was a series of essentially action figures that were provided mm-hmm. right. for Breaking Bad. Right. And inside of them, I don't remember what the actual accoutrement was inside of they them. They had like little gas masks and things like that. Right? <laughs> Something like that, right. And I absolutely understand that here where I go, well, you know which action figure I wouldn't have bothered gotten? Cassian the Murderer. Well, right. right. We're right. <laughs> How do you run out and go, okay, hurry, honey? There's his blaster yeah. who he goes and kills confidential informants with. And if you uh, have the mail-in order, you actually get the dead body of the confidential informant. Yeah. However, I don't know that we can awesome. stretch it that far no, with, with, I, I don't with either, that particular but... character. I'm not going to, I just don't want my five-year-old playing with the you know meth dealer action figure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I get it. I get it. But okay. it, it's exactly the same flavor and something I didn't actually say I could agree with. Until this movie. Right. Because it's true. I, I would never go out of my way to go grab the Cassian figure right. or the Cassian 12-inch doll right. or have, if I had a son, uh, dress my son up as Cassian, right. the dude from the Star Wars film. But I believe what the, the movie does is they paint a picture <laughs> that this guy is one of the heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's flawed. He's right. tainted. And, and I appreciate and, that, and though. They, I, and I think that they bring that story along. Mm-hmm. As he goes on, like right. Pat had said, he kind of sees the light. He kind of yeah. he kind of self corrects and several and, times and, and, and drifts yeah. and drifts you know, further further toward righteousness. Then all of a sudden, you know, he actually starts thinking more. Yeah, more, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's um, it's Jin's father's death, right? That yeah. is the catalyst there. Right. Yeah. That's the, when he that's was sent on changer. just the go kill mission, and then he chooses right. to not jump on right. the right. go kill mission. So, yeah. yeah, again, incredibly ornate storytelling that you might not take from this, especially the first time you go and see it. I think that's what I appreciate about this film is now having watched it four or five times, either with my then twelve or thirteen year old daughter, mm-hmm. or my wife, or both, or someone else. I've always gotten something else from it that I hadn't gotten previously. Right, and that is the nature of a great film. Jailbreak, a new character, an introduction to rebellion. This is fantastic because not only are we... I love it when they can get dirty in movies like this. A sample I'll use inside of this one is this scene, and the mm-hmm. one I'll use inside of The Force Awakens is when we you just see a couple of stormtroopers that have just had that really shit day. And they're yeah. just they're they're just wore out and they're all dirty and they're sitting on a on a bench in the beginning of the Force Awakens, and Daryl well, in in breaks awesome good guys let, to ruin their day. And let's face it, they they pit, they got the bottom of the barrel as far as assignments go. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, they're transporting they're in prisoners, this dirty, nasty, in this, yeah, this tank, yeah, know. and you know on this planet that they're you know strip mining all the resources from. Of the kind of you know rogue planet, so yeah. they're not in a good mood. So, yeah. you know, uh, but I, I love that that they can paint so much flavor, paint it so quickly, and and offer this. It's like 
throwing a like the ninjas use. They have those little pills and they throw them in front of you and this thing right. of smoke pops out. Right. That's what this scene does for movies like this is it creates this instant atmosphere very quickly so that you're into the scene and you get the storytelling and then you move on. Right. And I really appreciate that about movies like this. And it really does lend itself to how the original was too. Because you had those... The, the reason for the transitions inside of the original Star Wars films is because they wanted to bridge all of those different scenes together, not because they wanted to have some flipper, nut hooker, awesome thing in the middle. Right. They just wanted to bridge it together more so that your eye would follow. But I think what they do, too, with this <clears throat> is they take the setting, which is futuristic, something completely beyond what normality is from us, mm-hmm. but they want to bring it back around to have the audience relate. So we're in this futuristic setting. We have stormtroopers. We have futuristic equipment. We have all this kind of stuff. But then we have human beings, Mm -hmm. and they're interacting, and they're interacting just as we would or our culture would Mm -hmm. on a crappy assignment, on a bad day. And I think that brings people back around. I totally agree with that. What we also have here is the introduction to K2SO, one of the most endearing characters inside of the film, I think, without question. Absolutely. And uh, the voice talent, uh, I hope I get the name right, of the voice talent of Alan Tudyk has to be mentioned here. Yeah. Uh, he does a fantastic job. And the lines, the dialogue, who yeah. a great writing. The first introduction is where he clotheslines Jin <laughs> Urso coming out, you know, trying to make her escape, and says, congratulations, you're being rescued. Yeah. Epic line, great, Super great epic. intro. And to the point. something that's you can always recognize it in great writing it's another reason why i always go back to the shield and the writing inside of the television program the shield is that take what you want from the television series itself but the writing is just so on Mm -hmm. and and it's because they deliver the dialogue the stuff that needs to be a kind of a looped arc works as a looped arc but the stuff that is quick hitting is quick hitting with purpose Right. It's as if they're laying down a series of bolts that you will eventually take a screw and start screwing into. And by the time you get to the fourth screw, you realize that you've just built this armature for story. Mm-hmm. That's what this movie does as well. Right. And that, that you can do it so quickly that it's all based on something that everybody is familiar with. That's when you start to realize the magic of the right. movie that's being made. What I really here. like is... Uh... Like, the original concept for that character was they were just going to make a black C-3PO, which yeah. I think would have defeated the purpose of, you know, because the, the, I think the character they created was a totally different character. Sure. And right. it, was, you know, it was like a, a droid that could actually fight and mm-hmm. had like a kind of a different kind of sense of humor. It wasn't, you know, the campy, right. goofy and the, kind of droid. It was actually a serious, but he had the Super the good dry one, wit. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. good one-liners. Though. But yeah. there's the, there is the, the facets of a Star Wars movie that's you know, that never gets old to any of the audience are you know one of the facets is they have to have some type of endearing droid right mm-hmm. a robot in yeah it. something you know mm-hmm. another facets they have to have an epic uh, space fight scene or something you know to that effect they don't let us down in this movie the i guess introduction to c3po in the original movies where he was uh annoying and he had this personality of uh of being annoying and throwing out statistics and things like that. They didn't go there. They made something else unique. This uh, this particular character is sarcastic, right. is is demeaning at times, and, and it's comical. He's got the comic relief. So yeah. I, I, I would call it like, uh, everybody close your eyes for a second and imagine the best ever chocolate cake you've ever had. Okay? Everybody there? Mm-hmm. All right. Now imagine another chocolate cake 
that you haven't had yet. Right. And I, I would put that it's in the same family. Yeah. It provides you a sense of satisfaction, but it's something that you hadn't tasted yet. Right. That that that's kind of where I would put K two S O inside of the inside of this film in general, and I think it's incredibly worthwhile. Yep. Again, his portrayal inside of this is great. If you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, him and Stilts is just oh, yeah. rip roaring fun. Uh, it also provides. Uh, I wonder what the insurance policy was on him while he yeah, was on yeah. scene because. Wow. Yeah. I know I don't want to be walking around in three-foot stilts all day. Yeah. Inserting us into the past. One of the most important goals this movie has is to take us back, not just before the last movie we'd seen, which in this case was The Force Awakens. This has to take us back 40 years. Right. And to do that effectively, especially when so much technology can change, I think the biggest sample comparison you can have right now is the new Star Trek series, right. Discovery. Yeah. If any of you have seen that, I, I haven't seen any of it except for some of the trailer stuffs. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's going on inside of that series versus what was happening in 1966 in the original Star Trek, mm-hmm. I, it, it's not even a comparison. You, okay. you can't say that what you would have expected to see inside of Star Trek Discovery is 10 years before what happened in the original Star Trek. And so being able to paint this effectively, but still wanting to give us something that we hadn't seen, that's an incredibly daunting ask. Oh, it's difficult. But they pull it off wonderfully oh, in yeah. They film. do. When you enter Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, mm-hmm. that she pulls it off, I believe it. It oh, looks yeah. like her mm-hmm. in the past. Right. You know, the, the, the actress looks, sounds, has the demeanor, has mm-hmm. the body language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I buy it. Yeah, General What's His Face was also in that same yeah, scene. Big, uh, that that guy, if I'm not mistaken, I can't give his name. I, I don't know the the guy with the the white the salt and pepper hair right, yeah. looks like Michael McDonald. Mm-hmm. That that dude, he's another one that they painted or not they painted that they put into the scene to give you that graft back to what was, right. and it's done with so much adept skill that you don't really notice anything different. Ooh, well, they the touch on it. Too. The sets yeah. were just, um, I think they might have even used some of the, the same sets. I don't know, but I mean, sure. just the, the detail was just... It looked just very ridiculous. similar. Isn't, but that, it, isn't that really what we're looking at now, though, is like, okay, we need it to look exactly like this. Right. And yeah. we can go and do that now. And they touch, But they touch on it. They, they want to bring that... They want to bring the, the fan base back from 1977 mm-hmm. and have these nostalgic moments. Mm-hmm. Enter Jimmy Schmitz as a Bale Organa. Mm-hmm. Love it. You know, Me too. and he just he shows he, he shows up and you're like, "Oh yeah." You know, that so that you know, that's bringing that's bringing back the the old lore and such and Bale Organa in a lot of the books in that if you read a lot of the books has a big role mm-hmm. historically mm-hmm. as he comes through as this epic hero. You know the destruction of Alderaan. That makes um, sense. But the, it, ki- the, I, the king of Alderaan but right, is a hero. But what, that but makes what, sense. What we get is a little taste or reminder that he's still in this story. I mean, mm-hmm. they could have they could have just glossed over that and left him out. But I like that they put him in, especially an avid reader of the books. Where uh, there's a particular book called Bloodline that goes into a lot of the politics and the uh, outlines the uh, Senate and Leia's role in the Senate and mm-hmm. such kind of idolizes him as this hero that uh, gave birth to the New Republic. Mm-hmm. So I just, I like that they mentioned him. I like that they, and I like that they touched on it. They didn't do, overdo it. Mm-hmm. 
as a fan, I thought that was good stuff. Yeah. It, it, it's something that takes an adept hand and that they're able to pull it off when they need to is really exciting inside the film. <laughs> Establishing the plan that was hinted at a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We've talked about exposition scenes, I think, in everything that we've ever reviewed, guys. And everyone knows that exposition scenes can instantly turn to hell. Sure, if they're done wrong. (laughs) They can go so wrong. And what I'm so appreciative of this is that even though this movie was, quote, based on a series of comments that were made in another film, and we all know what they are, or maybe we don't. For those of you that are wondering what an exposition scene is, it's essentially, how do we get to the map room from here, and why? And now I'm going to tell you. Okay, that's an exposition scene. And so finding out what the mission is here is at least as important as providing something endearing to pull off the mission. But it has to be quick. It has to showcase something valuable, but it's got to not suck when doing all of that. Well, if you get, you've got to get into the uh, the characterization, the realistic debates. The uh, but, like Pat said before, the attention to detail that they put together as far as the the scene, the setting, the surroundings. You are uh, drawn in because you go, if you're a fan, hey, I recognize that. Yeah. I recognize that setup. I recognize that scene. I recognize that hologram yeah, or that base. map. Yeah, that, right. Oh, yeah, that's the so base. It, they put that together, I think, on purpose. They put that in there on purpose mm-hmm. so that scene, like you talked about, would flow a lot more smoothly. Yeah. There's a reason that they hide the chocolate eclair, the chocolate eclair in this case being the Death Star. Right. And they only show it to you at the beginning, crawling out of dark areas intentionally, right. because we all know what the Death Star looks like. Right. right. And so the first time or first series of times that you see it, you have to be just slowly shown it as opposed to out pops the Death Star. Right. And it, it's exactly the same thing. The, the role of exposition inside of movies is incredibly difficult, but done wonderfully right here inside of Rogue One. Tickling us with Forrest Whitaker. We've already sung the praises of Forrest Whitaker, though. I'm happy to spend another several minutes on him. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is a very, very gifted actor, and the choices that he makes are always bold, regardless of whether you like them or not. Inside of the front end of this movie, and the reason why we put something like this in the good section, as well as in the bad section, is they tickle us with Forrest Whitaker, and that I was expecting something way more profound right, more backstory. inside of this story, as well as him not being killed, frankly, inside of this story. And we didn't get that. But the tickle is wonderful on the front end. Right. When his character first comes on the scene, or actually the first scene with him rescuing Jin was the first taste you get him. But you get kind of a brief look at him. Yeah. But now that he comes out into the open and you get a uh, good look at him, if you're into you know, the books, the, the video games, the, the lore, the background, and you take a look at just physically how they have him set up mm-hmm. in the, uh, the armor and such, he has a very uh, Mandalorian look about him. Mm-hmm. And if you go back into the lore, and Pat can help back me up on this from reading some of the books and playing some of the video games, Mandalorians were a warlike clan-based people mm-hmm. that were known for this definitive armor and their weapons and their warrior skills, and he has this look. So that's that's where I kind of place him coming out as this rugged, you know, warrior, battle-ridden character. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it gave me a lot of flavor to really get behind this character. I liked it. I don't know. Pat, what did they get the, the Saw Gerrera in this, all well, right? See, or? That was interesting because I didn't know, but um, evidently he's in a lot of the cartoons. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. I, and I think the Star Wars Rebels is one of them. I think he might even a little bit in Clone Wars. But, he, yeah, I mean, his whole thing was he's, you know, a, a, basically a saboteur, I guess. And, and I guess from when he started to now, you could just see the battles he's been through. I mean, what is he missing, like two legs or at least one leg? And he's got I his, think half his body is yeah, robotic. I mean, so that, so that just kind of shows you. Bad day. like a Darth Vader-esque. Yeah. You know, how he, how he basically started as a whole guy, and all of a sudden he's gone through all these battles, and now, you know, he's basically just put together with armor and all this other stuff. And yeah. that's that's the other half, too. He comes out, you really don't know if he's good or he's bad. He's right. kind of psychotic. Even, they, the, even I, the rebels basically kind of yeah. stayed away from because they said he's almost way too far. It's too distanced. Know? Yeah. You know, and they also throw in the uh, the breathing at the end where he grabs the mask and he has the breathing. And it's a, it, one of the distinct things in Star Wars is the sounds. Mm-hmm. Even from the first movie, they went out and they said, we're going to pay attention to detail and do unique sounds where you hear you know, a, a blaster fire or Chewbacca's voice or, or Darth Vader. I mean, that he is branded with that. Mm-hmm. And they throw that sound in here when they first uh, introduce Saw Gerrera. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a tie back to, is this a good guy or is this a bad guy? Mm-hmm. Or where is he? Well, and something we'd mentioned in the prelude was that I was absolutely sure that Saw Gerrera and Darth Vader are just shopping at the same breather store. Right, right. No, no, no doubt. It's well, Saw Gerrera doesn't have as much money because his wasn't <laughs> as expensive. Right. And he had, you know, his he was, also has his a whole like lot a, fewer options like we're, I'm never going to be able to beat the horizon coming at me. Right. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. not going to outrun that. No. Establishing timeline and characters from the past. Digital and recast introductions. This is something I know there was a whole lot of groaning about when it first came out that this was actually going to be a piece of the showcase. Mm-hmm. I can remember vividly when they when the rumors of essentially Grand Moff Tarkin again appearing somehow. Mm-hmm. That was the very first nugget that I remember there being dissent slash complaining about. Mm-hmm. The second one was when I learned that Walrus Man was also going to be inside of this along with Pigface right. from the cantina. Right. And then the big one came when suddenly young Carrie Fisher's going to be around. Right, right. Now, obviously, this being recorded since Carrie Fisher's death makes it really easy that we all wish she was still around, even if she was in the young version. Absolutely. So that one's kind of out the door and forgotten. But what we can never let loose of is how vital just these small wafts of the original really do matter. Sure. Grand Moff Tarkin inside of this, regardless of whether or not you're a fan of the CGI that's pulled off, and frankly, I am. Yeah, the, the I thought net, it was done well. Yeah, the the Netflix version that is pulled off here, I think, is excellent. It may just be the Pat and I were trying to distinguish why yeah, this is working. Yeah, I don't know if it was if the Blu-ray is just so much more to where you can see maybe more into it, where it doesn't look as good. But yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. But if you guys take a moment to compare what you see inside of the Netflix presentation, in particular inside of a good television screen, versus what you see inside of the Blu-ray presentation, I think you're going to see something that's solely different. And watching it inside of the Netflix presentation, I, I liked it better. The other nods and Pigface and Walrus Man inside mm-hmm. of it, I, right. yeah. I, thought I thought that was, was fine. Pretty, yeah, they, it was just kind of like a passing thing. Yeah. Almost, you know? and, it, a re, and a revisit to almost the same dialogue. Yeah, right. yeah. It, right? it was a nice waft. Well, we also get R2 and C-3PO inside of this. Yeah. Right. It's a nice little quick whistle and a hello. Right. Well, and, did you notice also on, I think it was Jedi or the uh, Empire, Empire Strikes Back droid that was on Hoth is like in the background that mm. kind of goes through? Interesting. Yeah, interesting, yeah. But, you know, going back to Tarkin, Tarkin is one of the 
classic villains. Yeah. And when we talk about, yeah. when we get to the end of this, when we talk about our list of the oh, yeah. top ten most prolific villains, and you have to Tarkin, Tarkin may, Tarkin was, may be up there. And he was there during the original, you know, Death Star. So how could you not have had him there when it's basically completed? You know, you, everybody'd be like, "Well, where is he at?" You know, well, the and, guy that was running it, when it and in the started. and in the hierarchy, you remember Tarkin was over Vader right. at one time. So. Yeah. I, I, again, I love all that lore that stretches back and gives you some addendum instead of them just being kind of the pinprick characters that they were in 1977, where they're just showcased, right? And they're all blown up on the Death Star, right? I like the addition and the extension of those characters. Me too. It gives us a little background and insight. I love it. <laughs> Set creation excellence. I wasn't entirely sure where to put this inside the goods because there's just too many. Right. W- whether it's that. Well, every planet. I mean, almost yeah. every single planet. Yeah. You know, Amazing. The, yeah, at this point in time when you look at Jeddah and the mountains, the desert, the, the visuals. But that's what Lucas is known for and that's what these movies are known for. Mm-hmm. And they spare no expense at detail. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be some futuristic rat-like thing that's running through the desert. They don't leave it out. Yeah. And I I appreciate it. Uh, I do, too. The, I mean, they're immaculate. There were so many that I, I don't even know where to go and say, boy, that looks like crap. Right. Yeah. They all are just spectacular and bring you instantly into that atmospheric thing that I was talking about. Right. Where it's not just something that you see on screen that's inside a camera range. It's an atmosphere that's created. And I think they do that every single time. <laughs> what about the new characters? Absolutely love these characters, mm-hmm. Chirrut and Baze Malbus. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I think that they're endearing. When we get into the scene, and I thought it was one of the most epic scenes in the movie, where he walks out, uh, Chirrut announces the uh, he has his saying about the Force, and he takes out a whole squad of stormtroopers. I know that was highlighted in the trailer, mm-hmm. and... I'm glad that that's not a scene that they cut because that was, in my opinion, one of the most epic scenes. But, but right off the bat, the introduction of these two were just endearing. It's almost like I would like to see them in other movies, in future movies, but uh, apparently that's not going to happen unless <laughs> right. they're going to go back. Do another standalone? Do, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. A prequel to the prequel? Right. But, you know, so much so that they have such a deep characterization that it would be interesting to see these characters in a book or some other story. Mm-hmm. What I liked is that they didn't include Jedis, but they kind of included, like, if you look at Chirrut, that was about as close as you could get at the time to yeah. what somewhat a Jedi would have been. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool. Well, and I liked that they still had a mission and they, they were still hanging on, even though all of it was falling right. around around them. Right. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Yep. That And again, that sense of dedication. Because yeah. just like we got dedication from Cassian that murders a dude, right? and that's his dedication, period, paragraph, now we have the showcasing of another different established right. motive and dedication. I, I love that. It's very, very, very well put. And then there's Jin Erso. Yeah, the characterization that they've had so far, if you review, was she was an orphan, basically. She, she grew up probably on the streets and became this person who had to self-sustain themselves and was a fighter and a criminal, basically. Uh, I was arrested and could fight her way out of a lot of things and kind of a bitter person towards society. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of a turning point in the characterization Agreed. when she runs out in the middle of all this mayhem to risk her life to save this little girl. And I think that that was a classy move, a short scene, but a classy move to further develop her character as a hero. And it, it really pushed up my respect for that character 
after that scene. Isn't that where like a writing staff for a movie like this, it's kind of the quick hitting exclamation point? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, you, you want to establish what this character is and and what they stand for. The, I mean, this scene, this is the scene. This right. is the one that right. puts the character footprint. Just to save this little girl. Yeah. No, unfortunately, we're probably sure that that girl died anyway after the whole Jedi exploded. And, you know, it was meaningless. <laughs> that's meaningless uh, besides the point. Right? For the record, that's pessimistic, uh, Pat, <laughs> Pat Doring. Yeah. Pessimistic, I, Pat. I, I, I believe, will be. I believe that that girl got off the planet. I'm thinking um, not. But. <laughs> I mean, Forrest Whitaker died, and I'm pretty sure she did, too. <laughs> Pessimistic Pat. Pessimistic. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm confident she was in some underground bunker and survived. So, Pat, are you just thinking, like, she wasted her time as a character then? No, or? I think oh, it, okay. it proved a point, right. but, you know, if, if you go back in foreshadow, <laughs> you're like, well, that kind of was meaningless. But anyway. <laughs> Visiting another familiar alien planet. The atmosphere is remarkable. When we visit Jeddah, not only is it familiar, it plugs in, again, like a Lego piece. Sure. Yeah. To provide the atmosphere of what this storytelling is without even, with no work. Right. It takes you back to the first movie where you're walking through Tatooine mm-hmm. and you see the variety, the splash of different types of aliens and the different types of droids and mm-hmm. different types of animals, yeah. you know, weird animals and such. And that's just classic star wars they don't let us down through these scenes it's the same thing the attention to detail and it takes you back to the earlier movies those marketplaces and such yeah and it's something that i i enjoy yeah i I enjoy it more importantly i love that they have people that are skilled as cinematographers to pull it off right because there's a difference between walking up to any of the three of us and saying okay I need you to make a scene of a futuristic marketplace that will leech into the star wars mythos ready go Okay, well, <laughs> they're, they're going to get something very interestingly right. different yeah. than what they got when they paid the people that made this. Because all of this mm-hmm. is just stellar. Right. It instantly creates the atmosphere. But more importantly, it latches itself into the already established lore, and I love that. And walking you through those types of things, you know, especially if you're a fan, you can go down to Florida and down into Disney World and visit Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. and walk through some of those areas that they have set up or Star Wars, and if you're a fan, it is it's a must see. They uh, they are currently, I believe, building the Star Wars portion of Disney World, equipped with you know a full size Millennium Falcon, hotels, and so on and so forth. And I would assume that somewhere in there, they're going to build in a marketplace. Yeah, Pat, it, Pat, I, I have to know, Millennium Falcon or Millennium Falcon? I, don't know. I think it's a Millennium Falcon, isn't it? I don't know. You tell me, Pat. That's what I've always been believing. But Chris, what do know. you think? I think it's Falcon like the bird. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I get a totally. As so opposed here, to the Maltese so, Falcon? So here, let me let me line this out for you. Okay. If if you're an optimist, it's Falcon. But if you're a pessimist like Vulcan. Pat, it's Falcon. It's almost like Vulcan, but not so much. You know, the other thing I want to mention too, Mike, is if for fans who really want good visuals, uh, some of these different places, especially if you're into the uh, Old Republic lore, the video game, The Old Republic, which is an online video game, mm-hmm. and is free, and we'll link up to that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, sure. You can download that and play it for free. It will take you to a lot of these planets, and you can get a good visual. You want to take a look at uh, what Coruscant looks like and such. They do a really good job with these graphics. So, And it gives you a lot of back, 
lore oh, yeah. also. Like right, I was, I was saying earlier, I think some of these video <clears throat> games are better than some movies I've seen lately. Just the storylines and the stories and the way it offshoots and then connects stuff is really intriguing. I, I yeah. would agree with that, and I, I think it's mostly because I, when we can watch, it's it's what... It's the little devil that is television. Yeah. And we can watch television, and example would be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. When Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can give us something so rich in regard to storytelling right. and character arcs, right. but we can't get into a multi-million dollar feature film right. and see something that's at least as good as the, what, a fifth of the budget? Right. I, I've never understood that. And so it's one of the most frustrating things of being a, an entertainment critic is... What happened? What? What? Why can't we somehow mirror that? Right. I've never understood that. Watching more organized but still hapless stormtroopers. We get into the scene that Chris was referring to, where it's time to whoop some stormtrooper ass. Well, it, it it's gone on so long. We need a we need a fight scene, <laughs> and uh, but you know what? I, I do appreciate that they just don't force it in there. Right. Uh, it uh, you know they continue to move the story along, and it's time for the fight scene, and they don't let us die. It's almost like the the main character just kind of stumbled upon that you know. Area. Oh, well, by the way, there's a rebel insurgents going on right here, and here comes a tank, and all of a sudden, boom! You know, it's, there's a fight going on. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think what I appreciated about this is that again, this appeared after the Force Awakens, which gave us something that was, I think, a completely different echelon of organization for stormtroopers. Right where you could actually see battle plan being pulled off and them executing real orders and Mm -hmm. not being hapless. Well, after seeing that going backwards and trying to expect something to be better, this was that tiny little step better where you can see them organize, but they get organized and they stand around and get their ass kicked. Well, and getting, getting back into that, as far as the, uh, the abilities and such go, and you were talking about the special forces unit that they had in the beginning and such, I'll, I'll defer to Pat though. When we go back to uh, some of the earlier movies chronologically and they get back into the clone wars the clone army was uh was better equipped better trained better fighters no i, I believe they were yeah definitely and and, and it's kind of it just kind of lends you to where was the gap between the clone army to the absolute stormtrooper army i you know, agree what, what was the gap there <clears throat> what happened was it like did they all die we can, only, we can only recruit these chumps or what? You know, I mean, <laughs> did, did they, did they hey, stop? You know, if you no, want to be a stormtrooper, sign up here. And they only got what they got? I did, don't know. It, did it'd they, be interesting. You did know. their credit line run out for the cloning factory? <laughs> New standalone movie. What happened to the stormtroopers? Yeah. I don't know. So, <laughs> well, that that and, would work out well, actually. That'd and I need to mention, too, and Pat can back me up on this, cloning. You know, when you read through a lot of the books, cloning was a big thing. And that was where they always alluded to. Who did they clone? They, right. We've had, we've had these books where they've cloned these powerful Jedi, and they come back as an exact copy with all the powers and such. So going forward with the main story of Star Wars, don't lose sight of, in a lot of the books they have cloning. So is the Emperor really gone? Is oh, uh, I follow is, you. Okay. Is Darth mm-hmm. Vader really gone? Right. Interesting. That, isn't and, that know, a card that can only be played so many times, though? I don't know. Look, it's another clone of Anakin Skywalker. And I can yeah. tell you, in one of the books, in one of the books, there was they outlined that it was the Emperor Palpatine made it illegal for any of his blood or Vader's blood mm-hmm. to be taken, so nobody could clone them. Mm. So, I mean, it it does go back into a lot of that background historical lore. Of cloning, so but I don't know that if they will play that card because if you think about it, they played it with uh, the clone army, you know, in the movies. 
but really haven't since. No. So no. so as everybody's going forward trying to guess who Snoke is, and I know Pat's ha- has his theories. He's read a lot of the books. That might be Darth Plagueis, who was Palpatine's mentor, or who knows? I think they're going to try to pull something, and it may it may go back to this is a clone of a previous character. And tell me, J.J. Abrams, you look back on some of the things that he does with uh, Star Trek, rewriting, right? Rewriting the entire movie, going back and the unique way that he took Star Trek all the way back and rewrote that story by having, you know, somebody from the future come back. It's epic. It's great. So I don't know. Interesting. I think what I would have to say to the who is Snoke operation mm-hmm. let's just say that you never see aunt beru and snoke at the same time i'll leave that one alone. aunt beru yeah <clears throat> you know well let me think okay so i mean there were there was this fire fire but like she was fairly burnt to a skeleton all you I saw was a skeleton my right, friend yeah. was it one skeleton or two it was actually two skeletons okay a male and a female, but and you know was. what? You don't have any detail to go back and do any science-ness on. All right, I'm going with it's not going to be okay, the well. ant, but okay. All right. Galactic comic relief. Yeah, they insert some of this, huh? They do. It keeps it It keeps it keeps interesting. They do. And, and, and it's it super dry cheesy. wit. Yes, it could be cheesy, but it, it isn't. It's super dry wit. I, right. I would put humor inside of a movie, any Star Wars movie. At least as important and delicate as any exposition scene. Right. Oh, yeah. Because right. if it's not done right, it instantly gets stupid. Well, and it's quick. You look at the scene where K2SO, well, the similar robot, the similar Imperial K2S7. Droid, right. Whatever he is, walks up and Jin shoots him. Shoots him in the chest. He falls down. K2SO walks up and says, how did you know that wasn't me? Did you know that wasn't me? And she's like... Sure. And that was it. <laughs> but it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it was quick. It was over with, but it was funny. Yeah. So good writing. Yeah. There was a lot of one liners like that throughout the movie, though. Well, and it also helps you to drag out of something that's incredibly dark. Right. For those of you that have never been in proximity of some sort of terrorist attack, not so fun. No. Yeah. You don't want to be so in the middle of the epic civil, the for, civil war. Yeah. yeah where. Yeah. So being able to pull out of that downward spiral of doom, I I appreciate that, and I love that they can do it so often inside the movie and not get old. The introduction of our first blaster machine gun. I think of the three of us sitting here, Pat's probably the most machine gun guy, yeah? I guess a little, yeah. Yeah. So So what you see here, how big a deal is having a gun like that versus... Squeeze off shots as fast as you can pull the trigger. Well, I mean, obviously you can tell at the the one part where he just mows down, like, what was it, like 10 of them? And literally it was seconds, and, you know, yep. granted it was stormtroopers, but, you know, he mows so, it down rather quickly. Right. Yeah, they, were, they weren't the highly trained ones. Right. <laughs> Su- superior, superior firepower. But like, who, who actually took cover, by the way? Right, Is that maybe yeah. a, a book they need to add into the, the white stormtrooper yeah, book? Maybe. Perhaps. Taking cover, but, you know. It, <laughs> awesome. But going going back to the video game, the Old Republic, you can actually play the part, and there's there's backstories to all of them. You can play the part of a trooper, mm-hmm. and they actually equip you with one of those heavy machine guns, right, Pat? Yeah. And it's cool. You know, it takes you through those different weapons that they use, mm. the different armor and stuff like that, and it it has a rich storyline for each class mm. that you can play that takes you through 
this Star Wars story. I'm so appreciative of you being able to provide me with things that are going to eat more of my time so yeah. as to not spend yeah. it on editing this podcast. And you'll get in trouble, <laughs> you know, via your wife for spending too That's much right. time playing video games on the computer because, let's face it, Mike Wilkerson, you're too old to play video games. <laughs> I am. I am. And boy, that doesn't sound like a mirror comment at all, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> Enough homage to John Williams' brilliance. I think forever. Yeah, yeah I, I think forever we've been talking about the brilliance of John Williams. In fact, there's a, a brilliance of John Williams' career podcast that's somewhere in the pressure cooker that we got to push sure. on. Because, Absolutely. you know, what, what can you possibly say about John Williams except, uh, more please? It would be easier to name the things that he hasn't done <laughs> than what he's done. I mean, every... Every huge movie from Star Wars to Raiders of the Lost Ark to Superman. Right. I think he did some of the Harry Potter movies and stuff too. When, and I realized that he Pirates right, the Caribbean. Realized though that he did not compose this film. For the you mean as far as the music? Right. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> that, well, that, that's what I'm saying. There's enough homage. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's absolutely original. But now after four and five viewings slash listenings of what's going on inside the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It is extraordinary. This is Michael Giancana, who uh, uh, did the original Star Trek reboot soundtrack also. Which and was that's fantastic. another masterpiece. Yeah, that, it was fantastic. One of my favorite movie soundtracks still to this day. Mm-hmm. And what I love is his being able to evoke power, passion, but in a completely different way than John Williams does. And there's just enough lilt of John Williams throughout the movie that leads into other things that are clearly not John Williams. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's spectacular anyway. I know that that was one of the big question marks in regard to this film was that there was someone else planned to take the soundtrack on for this. And last second, they bailed. And so something had to be created. So hence, they went and got Michael mm-hmm. and really hit it out of the park with this one. Yeah. It's very, very well done. Another holographic message that details all. This is where we actually have Galen providing not only essentially a confessional, but an excellent love letter to his daughter. And it is incredibly touching. The other thing I found incredibly touching was the acting that's going on to what was probably nothing by the lady that plays Jen. Because I'm telling you, folks, as an actor, that is the hard nugget. Mm Mm-hmm. To try and act to nothing. Right, right. It, it's why so many of the original prequel movies inside of the Star Wars lore really do have some downward spiral moments because that's kind of what you get when you're acting to nothing. Right, right. Uh, what I do want to know is when are they going to get a decent um, hologram <laughs> communicator? Because it seems like all of them are crappy, you know? I mean, we had the first one, well, with Leia, and that one <clears throat> shot craps, and then this one, I mean, what was it? Almost halfway when it's almost done, the main part's coming out, and it starts breaking up, and you're like, what the? I, I, I don't know. Obviously, they didn't have the warranty plan that right. I have, say, perhaps on my cell phone. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I don't know either, but you're absolutely right. I think that one of the takeaways, though, from this scene is we've always asked, what is that information that they were passing? And they don't keep you guessing at that. They actually line it out here, and I thought yeah. that was great. The initial firing of the weapon. The holy city is targeted. Single reactor ignition only. I I didn't know this. I didn't know the Death Star could just destroy a city and not the whole planet. When I first saw this, I thought it was cheap. I have to be honest with you. Because what I was looking for was, all right, let's see the first Alderaan. Right. Well, you don't get that. Right. And so when I originally saw this, I'm like, okay, well, that's a downer. (laughs) 
I was looking for a whole planet to explode because one of the things of planet explodey, the Death Star exploding things, the the explodey point, is that you can't just go to a planet and then hide. Right. Well, you can't do that anymore because if they happen to see you go to the planet, okay, well, boo! Dawn, planet, done. Right. Okay, well, this makes an exception to that, and so originally I thought it was cheap. But now, again, having seen it four or five different times, uh, that's completely gone now. Right. This makes total sense, especially if you want to pillage the place. Right. And so th- this being able <laughs> well, to go, okay, I dub this place, boosh, and done. Salvage, and, and salvage yeah. the crystals that you need to power your weapon. Right. Or maybe even there, there are more down below, but to get to them, you have to scrape off the top crust. Right. Except that the top crust is like people and a city and bedrock right. and whatever else. But what, are the, what does the Empire care? <laughs> that's exactly well, right. I still think they're it's trying super to, ruthless. to hide the secret that they had this weapon. So that's why, if you recall, I think they made yeah. some kind of excuse of yeah. why. Mining accident. Blew, right, yeah. right. This is no boating you know, accident. The whole world, you know, world would have blown up. They would have been like, well, what happened there? You know? <laughs> right, right. No. And, and, and again, that, that, that sense of, again, evil purpose, but sense of purpose <laughs> absolutely rings and true. a sense of what governmental entities, I don't know what you want to call them, are completely in power. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you yeah. hold the ultimate weapon completely in power. Historically, when you go back and look you know, at the things like in the old Republic and such, there have been a timeline of power. The Republic was in power, and at one time there was great conflict with, between the— they didn't have like the Empire as it stands in the movies today, but they had back in the old Republic— the Dark Jedi or the Sith. And the Sith were actually not just the Jedi that had gone to the dark side, but they were actually a race also. And that's, I think, some of the uh, some of the stuff that they get into the video game, The Old Republic. Sith were prominent. They You're really dark, pressing this Old Republic dark, video game thing. <laughs> they had a dark council. Do you hold stock in The yeah, Old Republic video game? I'm not saying, I'm not saying one way or another, <laughs> but I may or may not. It's free. Um, but, yeah, it's free. So I'm not getting <laughs> It's paid. free. All right. But... They had a dark council, and mm-hmm. they had an emperor and an entire planet where they train and so on and so forth. So as you had the Jedi Council, when you saw in the earlier movies that were shot later, you also had that number of Sith, and they would have these enormous battles. Just a tidbit of interesting history, according to some of the books and other Lucas arts storylines. Interesting. Pat, what did you think when you first saw that they had the ability to just light up an entire city? I, was, I kind of went the same way of you. I'm like, I expected, all right, they're just going to blow this thing up and there it goes, but then no way they're just going to blow up the city. And I was like, hmm. But then when, like I said, you start thinking about it, it's like, yeah, it served a purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole purpose thing is what I, I really appreciate that they're able to layer in on this. I think it's one of the original things why I was such a James Cameron devotee, too, because if I just go, hey, there's a murderous robot in town. You kind of go, boy, okay, that kind of goes off the rails. But then when you start seeing that the Terminator suddenly has methodology, okay, that's when you got me. When there's right. purpose behind right. a whole bunch of murdering, that, that's that's way more interesting than just somebody got destroyed because they happen to be walking down the street. I, I really do appreciate that. Well, and it's James Cameron. You know, when talking to people in Hollywood who write, the appreciation for his ability to write and put together a script. Yeah. His attention to detail is just tremendous. Yeah, off the scale. And that's why his movies are are just enormous. Yeah. Krennic gets Tarkined. This was brilliant. And it's one of the things that I think is the most endearing pieces, especially as an adult now, when going back to look at the original 1977 Star Wars. 
all of those people are waiting to shove a knife in someone else's right. back. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And it, it is such an eye-opener, especially as an adult, after enduring enough politics in my life forever. Right. It's so clear to me that everybody is out to stab everybody in the ass with this giant knife. Everybody has a power play. Absolutely. And you get that in spades here with Tarkin and Krennic. Right. Tarkin just walks up and he says, wow, this is a this is a great thingamajig. Thank you for your great thingamajig. I'm going to love using it to do whatever I want. Have a great day. Goodbye. No paycheck for you. Right. I love that. Right. I absolutely love that because it, it is the, the tasty little waft that was through that entire first... I don't know, three quarters, or through the first quarter of the original Star Wars film. It's the continuation of what you had when you look back at Palpatine and and taking over the Senate and the continuation of politics, the political takeovers, the scandals, the backstabbing. And like I had mentioned, that book Bloodlines was just filled with that, that type of thing in the background. Very, very interesting. (laughs) I just kind of went back to see where Krennic kind of played in this whole thing. And if you go back to the first movie, New Hope, in the actual, where you kind of first see Vader and Tarkin, there's actually a um, a big oval desk with people, and there's one seat missing. Yeah. So was that his seat? Was he actually supposed to be there? Oh, I love it's that. Just, it's just one of those things That's that they kind of just make it, because they have all these other admirals and generals <laughs> there, and then there's, if you look in the New Hope, there's an open seat. You're like, hmm. The one guy with that, the white was outfit. That, was that Krennic's? You know, <laughs> that's very here. interesting. It's that's very stuff interesting. like that just kind of make. Did they actually think of that, or you know, who knows? I, I love that. I, I love the accidental what ifs a lot inside of movies like this, especially when you can bridge forty years. I think that's incredibly mm-hmm. endearing. Confirming the flavor of an impossible rebellion. This is what you watch a Star Wars film for. There is an impossible goal. Sure. You must do this or all fails. The odds are overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, and it's not so much about being an underdog. It's about being able to accomplish the impossible. And if you go back especially to the second Star Wars film where we've got, uh, obviously, the whole Luke tutorial with Yoda. Right. It, it's rife with, you want the impossible. Well, you fail because you're a loser. That's <laughs> right. If all you think you can do is fail, then guess what? You're going to do it spectacularly, Luke. They give you a sliver of hope. Yeah. In each movie, and but they make they outline the story so much to where it's so slight. Yeah. The odds are overwhelming. Yeah. How are you going to uh, overcome these impossible odds? But they also interject this human aspect, and this movie does it brilliantly because it starts in the beginning with a man who was with the Empire, Galen, who was with the Empire, mm-hmm. and has this epiphany that he isn't doing right. But he's too far into it, and he can't undo it, so he's going to get his family out. Gets recaptured and starts to do it right. Starts to give and build that hope to undo what he's done. Yeah. To defeat this ultimate weapon. All of the layered providing of the glimmer of hope against all of the doom that's showcased, in particular inside of this giant moon-sized Death Star. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more this versus that. Even if you see people on the screen where these are the good guys and those are the bad guys. I I love that. I love that they can paint that structure and paint it so quickly. The concept of the Death Star. Another book that was written called Lost Stars was a different take on the Imperial side. It was about, Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of a love story that they put together, but it was a boy and a girl that actually went to the Imperial Academy. And they kind of go into the background of, all the you know millions of people that were in 
not just the Death Star, but the uh, Empire at the time. And it was kind of from a different perspective. Very interesting as it kind of gives a, a whole backstory of the other side. Hmm. Not to ruin the book, but when you go through that, you kind of get a different perspective of you know all the people that were on the Death Star and so on and so forth. And one of the thought processes in the book was that people that were the Imperial troops and such had all these hundreds of thousands of people or a million people or whatever that worked on the Death Star that were obliterated also. So they had this argument in there that, you know, no, the, you know, the people that blew up the Death Star murdered all these people too, so. It takes me back to Clerks, too. You remember that? <clears throat> I do remember that. Take it back to what? Clerks. Clerks. They had that big uh, argument about Return of the Jedi because it was still under construction and all the, the contractors that, you know, passed away when they blew up the, the second Death Star. Yeah. Right. Because the, right, these are just people that were... They were just there to get health care, yeah. man. They right. were just... The plumbers, the electricians, they, they didn't know it was just putting in the toilets and right. you guys were whacked trying, them. They were just, you know... <clears throat> Dude was but, just trying to clean up the floor so the little scurrying robot wouldn't right. get stuck. I mean, jeez. But it was heartless. It wasn't... It was an interesting... It was an interesting story and an interesting yeah. perspective. No, you well, know, and here, at a perspective review... You know, it offers a it genius, offers a different genius, Chris. A different angle. That, well, I think what that also is, and I, again, I'd, I have to try and grab my memory. I think that's actually what the Dark Trooper game was too. I think the Dark Trooper. I think you actually were the Dark Trooper mm-hmm. inside of that game, where instead of you being the guy that's going in to be the rebel to blah, blah, the bad guys, mm-hmm. was actually flipped around. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that and try and remember all of that. I remember spending endless hours playing that and Jedi mm-hmm. Knight. Just it was fun. That they were the games are just so much fun. Well, and when and, you... and completely immersion immersion therapy. You know, you, you were talking about what does Coruscant feel like when you're there, right? Well, it was exactly the same thing inside of Jedi Knight, where you go, okay, so if I'm let's say inside of a, a giant Death Star like structure, what does it look right. like? Well, this is exactly what it looks like, right? right. And I I really <laughs> dig that because obviously I'm not going to go be able to find my way into some structure that looks like the Death Star, although your thing in Florida sounds like it might be a piece of that eventually. I believe. I believe it is. I mean, I'm, I will be down there to see it uh, eventually when that, once they build it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you do go down to Hollywood Studios and uh, you go into a thing they call the Launch Bay, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things. They, you know, they have the, a lot of the, uh, the hangar. armor and stuff like that and oh. cases. You can buy all the stuff if you want to pay a gazillion dollars for, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, Imperial TIE Fighter uh, get a pilot uh, helmet. Oh wow! Know, and and yeah, or the, but uh, but you can see all that. They have the uh, they have the different lightsabers from everyone, from you know through all the movies. What they look like in these cases and stuff. It's just it's interesting Amazing. stuff if you're a fan. Amazing. Um, but yeah, from a different perspective when you go back into these books, you know, and you always you say, I want. Well, what was it like going through the Imperial Academy? Well, this described it. All the training and everything, the background that they had to go through. I dig that. Star Trek did the same thing, where they'll drag you through the the, the viewpoint of, say, a Klingon warrior who would then just come upon a, a Federation ship doing blah. Right. Well, they did that. They, they did that as well, and I, I think that those are super effective because of the perspective that it yields. Well, I, I love that. And let's remember, when you get into A New Hope, when Luke is talking about going to the Academy, mm-hmm. it's the Imperial Academy that he's talking about going to. It's, it's the only one at the time from the things that I've read. So he talks about, I don't want to do the farming anymore. I want to go to the Academy. Interesting. That's actually where we ask you, the audience, what do you know about the Academy and whether that's the not Jedi Academy but some other Academy? Yeah. Or it's the Empire Academy. 
Com. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. You can find all the links you need to connect to us, as well as all the links of the things we're talking about over at Two Guys Talking Star Wars. Com. That's number two, Guys Talking Star Wars. Com. Returning to Mustafar. This is spectacular because I will admit the third prequel film, Revenge of the Sith, has a lot of power in it. True? Not true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, what I thought was interesting is, I think Mustafar, is it how you spell it? Mustafar. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was something that originally Lucas wanted to bring into, I think it was Empire, Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. you know, Vader's castle. And I think the way they brought it in here was kind of really cool, just bringing it back to where, you know, that's where basically him and Obi-Wan Kenobi got into it. Sure, he was born. Right, yeah. 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 I, I really appreciate that. I, I can remember specifically... It would have been 85, 86-ish, reading the book to Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. and the novelization and how it reads how Darth Vader became. Right. They give you a taste of that, I yeah. remember. Yeah. And, and it is striking. And I remember reading it because it was like... You know, it was like reading your first Playboy magazine because it was, I mean, it was really grisly. It was I don't not know a... what you're talking about, Mike. You know, strike, strike Mike's comments <laughs> and uh, let's, let's get him, let's get him. We, I think we need to get him into uh, see, see a uh, minister. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Any, anyway, the, the, the novelization was incredibly impactful because it painted so incredibly impactful pictures of the horror of becoming Darth Vader. Because right. I can remember vividly back then, one of the things that I was always curious about is like, <clears throat> what's under the mask? Right. And I remember I remember as a kid, or, you know, as a younger person, I remember the, uh, hey, he, he fell into a volcano. Hey, he was burned. He was, so they had some of that, but not a total reveal. Right. Of what that was. Yeah. I, I think it does something that Chris and I talk about a lot inside of our reviews where it allows your imagination to do all the work. Right. All it has to have are like the, you know, the little pinpricks and then your imagination connects the dots and it's yeah. even more horrific. That's exactly what the flavor of that was. Well, and then when you get into, uh, was it, uh, was it, it was Return of the Jedi, is that what you're talking about, where they yeah. actually show a portion of, well, no, it was, it was Empire Strikes Back, where they actually show a portion of him. And that's where all the, or some more of the, speculation and you know <laughs> hypothesis of what happened to yeah. him and then we kind of have the confirmation once you go into return of the jedi i remember it, specifically <clears throat> playing with my uh star wars action figures and like everybody that had a mask or a helmet of any kind that, that that's where one day they would just have the revelation moment of oh yeah well and you pop the helmet off and it's like all yeah. Worm squiggling or something. You have no <laughs> right. idea what it's under there. And that's that was incredibly interesting for me when I was a kid. Right, exactly. Yeah. The uh, I think the same thing is going on with where they're kind of painting that with Snoke. Yes, and I agree with this that. This hologram that's bigger than life, you know, but in the end he's going to come out and he's going to be shorter than Yoda. Yeah. But he has these scars and everything else. And it's, it's who is he? Who was he in the past? Why is he scarred? Why does he look like that? But then again, they could change it around. They could change yeah. it all around. It's on a hot. There's a lot of avenues that they could take it. Yeah. But it's it's classic Star Wars. Yeah. Keep you guessing. What I did like though is this is the the when they first introduce Vader. This is the Vader that we know. Oh it's yeah. It's not the whiny. <clears throat> yeah. You know the whiny, angst Vader that was in the first you know couple movies. Yeah. That, you know. This is a classic classic 
entrance and a typical Darth Vader entrance mm-hmm. when uh, he comes on the scene. And let's face it, Krennic is pretty bold. I mean, he's bold oh, yeah. through the entire movie until this scene. Mm-hmm. When he comes face to face, you can see he's afraid. Well, there's even a he's, part where you see the shadow fear. start on the wall. <clears> right. You can almost see Krennic's, he almost starts, you know, changing to where all of a sudden he's not so sure of himself. Well, I, I think that's the and, power of him having a white outfit. Is that the instant you start draping him with Vader's shadow, right. man, it is so stark. Right. It, it's wonderfully And done. we would be remiss if we don't mention how they round out that characterization with the voice of James Earl Jones. Yeah, quintessential. It just, it just, it just makes it. Yeah. And what would a Vader scene be without a little choking? You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. I, you know what we've got to do is, do you guys remember when Roger Ebert was on his way out and they started to try and make him a voice based on the recordings that he had done with Gene Siskel for so many years. I do not And the tapes that. and stuff. Well, yeah, they, they, they essentially tried to make him a voice so that he could type out a, a paragraph and mm-hmm. you would hear essentially Roger Ebert's voice. Huh. And that's something that we're going to have to do with what's going right. on oh, with James, James Earl Jones. Jones. Right, yeah. absolutely. Because I've heard a lot of sound-alikes that are good. Yeah. But they are definitively They're not, not James no, Earl Jones. There's no way. Having Mufasa being showcased inside of Mustafar here is just awesome right. and it's, something that is. cannot go to waste. I would put him in the same category as the same guy that does Optimus Prime. He right, also right. is another dude where we've got to record him saying everything on planet Earth yeah. so that when he's gone, we can still have Optimus right. Prime. I agree. Watching the parties rally where and when they need to. Inside of this, we have Jin's speech, which is epic, Absolutely. To, to the to the Rebel Council, and it, it's fun to watch it because instantly you see people that I know you guys have seen in whether it's it's at schools or a PTO meeting or maybe even at work, where you're like, okay, so we're gonna do this, 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 and this, and then you got the wisecrackers that just go, we can't do that because brecker brecker dicker right. And there's four or five of those that just peck around to try and find the problems with what is a really outstanding potential plan. But it was it was a realistic political debate. Absolutely right? realistic. And I that that's what I love about this film is that it's able to drag down, hey, we're going to go blow up the giant spaceship that destroys planets and puts it into perspective without question. Mm-hmm. What I really like, though, and what we're focusing on here is they blow them off. They say, up yours, we're not doing it. Right. right. That's bold storytelling. It would be so easy to just go, yes, we're going to do this. You're right, we are. <sighs> well, right. And then you and, kind of get into this ironic setting where, let's face it, they're all rebels, so they're all rogue, but there's a portion of them that even go more rogue. Yes. And they go, they rebel against the rebels. Right? Yeah. Can and, you even say that? I, don't know, y- I guess, yeah. hence Rogue Squad. I don't know. Rogue, <clears throat> rogue One? I don't know. Maybe well, that's, that's, the whole, the that's how know? the whole title came about, yeah. right? And right up to that point, kind of an aha moment when it all comes together, we're going to rebel against what the majority says, even within our own faction. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that, and I love that they'll take the chance to move forward anyway. Right. That right. is where it starts to really get endearing and spills, again, what Pat said, right into the words, Rogue One. The speech that she had on the ship, when she goes into the ship and they come together, what was striking to me was it was this band of people who had been doing this all along, just yeah. making these yeah. plans up as they go all along, trying to upend the establishment. And once again, they're doing it again. It was kind of second nature to them. It really rounded out that character as 
the leader. It really rounded out Jen Orso. Jen Orso as the leader. Yeah, and it also gives the entire story a kick in the pants towards the last act, which I, I really enjoyed. Right. The insight of an insurrection making 10 seem like 100. You guys both are very steeped in tactics in general. Pat probably more than Chris is, but the the fact that being able to puff up your chest and make it look like there are a hundred people when in reality there are only ten, and the value of something right. like that is immeasurable, regardless of the situation. Well, I'll, I'll go back to the bonus stuff and what they what the whole point of that was is they wanted to make it kind of like a World War Two kind of we're stealing the plans kind of movie, and it kind of it kind of got that vibe, you know. They absolutely they, got the they vibe. They do the sabotage stuff where they blow up certain things and make it look like there's actually more of them than what they are. And then it, if you actually remember, Bodie the pilot starts giving out different sectors. Oh, I just saw the rebel rebels at you know on the sector. radio, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then they do different ones, so that it's just like mass chaos, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah. When it again, it borrows from a a spectacular piece of what is unfortunately going on inside of news headlines today. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at any single instance of ISIS and or Al Qaeda acting. Mm -hmm. It's what this is. It's, it's their organized chaos, hoping to throw us off our game and anything that they can do to do that, to make it look like their numbers are larger is it's definitely not a good thing now because denoting that there are large numbers someplace is kind of like a dog whistle for us currently. It, It is an intent and I love that it's pulled off masterfully here. When you talk about organization and such, and you're talking about international terrorism, when you get right down to it from the things that I've seen, it's not, they're not really that organized. You had a, you had a different perspective when you talked about Al-Qaeda. They would, they would go after these big targets, big publicity, planning, and so on and so forth, where they've evolved into ISIS nowadays, which is just, hey, just go out and kill somebody. All evil... All, you know, definitely a problem, you know, in the world today, but different approaches. But I don't know. I'll defer to Pat, too. I don't know how organized I could really call any of them. I mean, I guess in the past they had more organization, but it looks like they're trending toward disorganization. Just go out, simplify, just go out and, you know, create terror by killing somebody. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I agree with that. I mean, you, you'd see, I mean, let's look at September 11th. That's probably one of the most organized things. <clears throat> but let's recently, it's a lot less organized. Jump in a truck and run a bunch of people right. over. Well, and smaller. So San Bernardino shootings, two people, reasonably unorganized, right. definitely unorganized at the end. Yeah. They had no plan. The, the, the plan was to go and kill and then be done. <laughs> something else that is something that we don't usually glance on is that whole willingness to end up being dead at the end of your mission. Right. Because what Hollywood has loved to do, although that's changing too, is that there has to be a hero. The hero has to accomplish a mission while defying the odds and then lives at the end. Right. Right. And we do not get anything like that inside of this. We're going to talk more about that as we get into this, but that is another piece that is what makes this film so daring and endearing at the same time. Oh, the manifest? It's right down here. Having these very stupid pieces of what would make no sense in general inside of Star Wars movies where it makes instant sense, it's one of the only properties where I know it would work. If I were to see this inside of an episode of, say, CSI someplace, I would be all over this bitching. Mm -hmm. I see something like this happen inside of Star Wars. I'm absolutely okay with it. It's a piece of movie highway that has to be traversed and then move on. 
mm-hmm. and it's done so quickly and they're usually so small, but this is what has to happen. That guy will go, oh, you're probably looking for the manifest. It's down there. You already know that there's at least one dude that's down there waiting for them. So what now has to happen is those one, two, three, four people, three white stormtroopers and indoctrinated, not quite lieutenant dressing guy, they all have to get down there and they all have to get taken because you got to get their clothes. Mm -hmm. And without having to show any of that, this one line, oh, you're probably looking for the manifest. It's down there. That instantly makes an on-ramp for us to know that we know exactly what's going to happen without seeing any of it. And it all works, where if it was in a different property, I would be bitching about it instantly. The concept of the gate being kept closed and the mission's deck of cards exposition. There's two things here. One, the gate on the the final planet, I think, is brilliant. Right. Oh, yeah. There is one entrance. There's one exit for anything that wants to go into the planet. That's well, they've they've painted it as this secured facility, and they don't slack on the details. So, I mean, it it, it sets it up. They tell you, and then they show you. Yeah. Uh, Tell you, show you, and then, oh, by the way, look, two Star Destroyers above protecting it all. Right. I I love that. I love it when, when you go, this is the most impregnable, whatever the hell they're talking about, and then they show that. That's detail that needs to be done a whole lot more inside of storytelling. Unlike in the 24 Legacy breach of <laughs> pick one yeah, headquarters which, which time which time you know, the yeah. headquarters get infiltrated <clears throat> it, by it, three guys with a pistol <laughs> or threat of a pistol although all it takes is one good um what is it the uh, communication code they usually have and then they're right through yeah right? yeah 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 so that, that's exactly what i mean code yeah you're good. I, I, I just i love when they follow up smart storytelling with power that's seen chris and i talk about that all the time inside of our other reviews which is when in doubt show it you, you can sit there and tell about it all day long, but show what you can. Right. That's great. Watching a Pan-American War war film in a Star Wars universe. Pat referred to this recently, and I couldn't agree more with you that this is a war film right. at the end of this. Mm-hmm. It, it is that got to blow the like bridge to do World thus War and II, such, Iwo to do Jima, thus and such, yes. Kind of desert, you know, the yeah. island battle thing almost. Uh, and it was excellent. Well, what I also love is... It's it it doesn't you guys probably vividly remember the original G.I. Joe cartoons in the eighties. And the G.I. Joe cartoons in the eighties, what essentially would happen is there'd be a small story set up and then there would be a battle. And then there's some all some more story push through and then some battle. And then there'd be closing of the story, and then there'd be some battle and the good guys win. Right. Okay. Every time I've said and then there would be battle there would be these battles, and all you could see was red power shots being shot one way and blue power shots being shot the other way. And all over the place, just everything, absolute mayhem, and nobody's dead. That's not what you get here. No, no. There is a price being paid for doing what you're doing, in particular when it's a smaller number of people against this massive force. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that they're showing the reality of something like this that sure. would happen as opposed to just firing everywhere and nobody gets hurt. Right. I appreciate that they're able to show that here. Right. To follow that up, where you have the two fronts of the battle, the battle on the ground and the battle in the sky, Yeah. they have the classic cavalry coming to save the day. Yeah. And like all Star Wars films, or like all the good Star Wars films, we have <laughs> a an epic space, space battle. Super epic. I mean, that yeah. space battle, I went back and watched it. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And so much detail, because what what I've really appreciated, I think probably since that second original prequel film, mm-hmm. 
is that the, the front ends of each of the films, in fact, even the first one, they do have those epic space battles mm-hmm. where there's, there's so much going on in the screen you could not possibly ingest it all in one sitting. Mm-hmm. It requires going back and looking, okay, at this sector right. to see what's going on here while these other things are sweeping by. Right. They've actually tucked in a whole bunch of Millennium Falcons right. and, and Y-Wings what they and whatever they else. tied in, you know, the... Well, the, the New Hope, with the, they had the actual gold and red leader guys in there. Yeah, but right. Yeah, that yeah. scene, you know, and it was so... I didn't even notice it until I went back and looked it up, and they talked about. It. I'm like, I got to go back and watch that again, yeah. right? Because it was so good, you didn't notice. Well, that was filmed back in the '70s, and they clipped it in, and it looked perfect. Yeah. The uh, yeah. introduction too to the Hammerhead Corvette ship that they had, yeah. and I remember back in I don't know if it was the games or the books or whatever, Pat, you may recall, but had been. I remember hearing about that or hearing it mentioned. Never knew what it was for, but. I'm glad that they right. they actually showed what that that actual ship was used for and the and purpose to, to right. actually yeah. ram back to ship. function and, yeah. I, and that was cool. Yeah, I, I, what I love that is that they're able to take the function of something that's completely outlandish. Mm-hmm. If you go, okay, we're going to have a ship, and this ship will I don't know ram another ship, a, a, a huge star destroyer, <laughs> yeah. and then have purpose on it. I I love that. We're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that too. At at. That's right, at-ats. And these are the transportation kind that are being filled up with, I guess, what, crystals or whatever else yeah, inside I'm of them? Assuming something, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but it was great to see them after way too many years. Absolutely, yeah. That actually happened before, <clears throat> the ones that we originally saw on, on Hoth the Ice Planet. Right, right. But it was fun. I, I think it's one of the things all of us can absolutely agree to as a, a giant iconography of Star oh, Wars that yeah, are just so total indelible. Yeah. yeah, total signature. Indelible. Down in Hollywood Studios, Florida, they have a replica of one right outside uh, one of the uh, stages where they put on the uh, show. Mm-hmm. They bring out Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers, and they get the kids up there in the Jedi Academy to fight, actually, Darth Vader, which is really cool. But, hmm. but Signature have the, uh, the AT-AT or AT-AT walker mm-hmm. i'm not sure which is it the it, walker or is it the whole the giant at at it's the it's the, the four-legged the giant the, the ATST, atst is the, the two-legged, ATST is the two-legged one. one but this is the four-legged one wow the, the, the big ones in the wow. uh that were on hoth it's did you out get up there, there and drive it can you drive it you know you did <clears> if you climb on it they'll ask you to leave the park <laughs> i.e wilkerson get out of the park the rebellion arrives Finally. And this is part of that epic space battle that you're referring to. Yeah, the the cavalry arrives. Yeah, but that they arrive at all is something I loved watching. Watching the buildup of, wait a second, they they went anyway? Right. And it's not even a, well, we got to go help them moment. It's just that we realize they're making a dent, so now we got to go. Right. Uh, That's what I think I love most about this, is it's not a, well, we've got to go and help them. That's not what... That's not the attitude that was going on at all. No. They saw that the tide was getting turned, and then they decided to jump through. It's another index to, to the question that I always have is, how big is the Rebellion? How many ships do they have? And when they line it out in a scene, I like that. Me too. I like to see that. Me too. That, that variety and, and their forces and how, how big they are. Or they aren't. How big is the Empire compared to them? It gives me, a, like a, I guess, a baseline, and it helps me through, I guess, the storytelling. Preying on the concept of download versus transport, 
This is one I want to hit super hard for you guys because the concept of downloading back in the 1970s, nothing. There is no concept of the word download back in the 1970s, at least not for a standard American populace. You might have had some factions of the government that might be using something like a, a 1K download rate for the... Earth's mightiest secret someplace inside of a, a military network of some kind. Mm-hmm. But the concept of just going and, oh, I'll download that. Or I'm going to upload blah, blah, blah to you and it's going to be awesome. Or that you can download an entire podcast that spans probably longer than this movie, i.e. this podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that concept was literally alien back in 1977. Right. And so being able to see that they can rely on something like that that's set in the, quote, future a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I love that. I, anytime you can start bending in what doesn't make sense in on itself and it makes even more sense, mm-hmm. I love that. And so the the advent of changing where I have in my hand the plans for the Death Star, and now Pat's got them. Pat, take them. All right. Now you got to get those to Chris or we're all dead. Ready? Go. Right. And so Pat hands it over to Chris. I can't, he can't Chris. get through the shield. We're doomed. He can't get through the. We're doomed. We're doomed. Oh wait a second, we're not. What's that? Oh, it's a radio antenna. Climb to the highest point on the planet. Right. Right. So now Pat climbs to the radio antenna, puts in all the data. Now all we got to do is we got to get the screen open so that Chris can know that there's a message coming and then receive the message. I love all of that. I love all of that because it's complete departure from take this physical thing because if you don't, we're all going to die. Right. It's the next evolution of that. And right. I think that's incredibly good storytelling and not just uh, knocking it through the wicket because, well, we got to do something where something gets downloaded. And the and as we haven't mentioned this, but we mentioned in every podcast, the pacing, yeah. the pacing they have, the, the hurry up, the anxiety that they have to try and get it and get it uploaded and, and so forth, but also the pacing of bridging that to the next movie. Yeah. You know, I, it, it fits it fits well, and I think that uh, the way that they put those scenes together paces that out well, and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. What I'd like to know, though, is if going back to the trailer, which, you know, scenes that we didn't remember, there's a scene of her on the beach holding the plans as she's running away. Now, did they totally redo that? Now, was it originally going to be she was going to hand the, that that disc over? And then they decided, hey, that's not a good idea. Let's do yeah, this. Good it, question. Make, it makes you wonder. What? Well, not only does it make you wonder, it, there's at least, I, I think if I remember reading right, there's four or five different scenes that were in the original trailers and the in the feature film trailers that never are referenced or showcased inside of what is the the final films, right. either in the final film or in anything that's in the right. extra you scenes anywhere. Scenes anything, right? it, it makes me wonder if they had a different ending. In other words, they get off the planet, they survive. And they hand over the plans. Interesting. That's actually where we asked the audience, what do you guys think? Was it as it was written and showcased? Or was there a different plan to finish the movie? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's twoguystalkingstarwars.com. The number two, guystalkingstarwars.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side, fill out the quick web form, and tell us what do you think. Watching K2SO's Silent Insurrection and Bold Death. You know, I got feedback on this this uh, scene where people were uh, so into this movie that they were distraught over. It was you, wasn't K2S- it? Oh, Whenever, K2SO. Whenever th- that's code for Chris was crying when K2SO. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't Final me. Shot, it, 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 Packing it, tissues. It, got it, it wasn't me. I won't mention any names, <laughs> Pat Doring. But um, 
but now no, I understand no, the picture no, I had, becomes clear. I had uh, I had people <laughs> went and, and saw this movie before me and came back and said because I was going to take my younger kids to see anything disturbing in the movie. This and that. Well, the when they murder the, the robot, the it's robot, the robot dies. And you know, to me, up, to me, for not seeing the movie, it was kind of like one of those things where I went, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> Real, Chris is going. Was there, a lot, a, of, was there a lot of blood, or what? was there smoke coming out of the toaster? What, or something? what I mean, what was it like? Did he make this horrific dying, oh. gasping noise or something? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but you know what? When you watch it, when you watch it. This does bring out the fact that this was an endearing character. Yes. That people hate to see go. Yeah. So. Well, and literally go. That's the, you know, the, the, the sage old thing inside of comic book sets is that if you don't see a body, well, then they're not dead. Oh, wait a second. We do see a body and we see the lights go off. Right. <laughs> yeah. Done. Right. I love this. I also love that he, he goes down swinging without sure. question. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know how many movies can now pull something like that off without it being really, really super cheese. Right. And this did it wonderfully. I thought it was an excellent send-off for K2SO. By the way, I do want it to be a send-off. Right. What I don't want to see is, at some point, we're watching Jawas in yet another incarnation right. of Lucas's original films. Yeah. And in the background is pieces a, off. Yeah, K2SO going, hmm, I've always wanted to go into outer space, or something equally as stupid. So let's not have that. Small references, perhaps. The, uh, you know, his, the, the head of K2SO laying next to the mask of... Uh, what could know. be more endearing of the dead robot? How about a decapitated dead robot? <laughs> right awesome. next to Vader's mask right. and Kylo And Ren's Luke's hand. <laughs> yeah, and Luke's hand. They should... Yeah, that's the other thing, too. We should have the 10, <laughs> the ten most prolific body parts from... Uh, <laughs> from Star Wars movies. taken? Everybody's lost, you know. Awesome. <clears throat> the concept of a Corvette ship... Again, we briefly mentioned this. Yeah. But the concept of a Corvette ship is literally to go and ram a larger ship to yeah. move it out of well, position. The the Corvette, but then the oh, Hammerhead, Hammerhead co- yeah. Corvette, mm-hmm. right. was. it looked like it was specifically designed with the right. front portion of it to ram mm-hmm. another yeah, ship. Technically, isn't the ship at the end of Corvette? The one where yeah, the one that the, I believe that the one on. that Leia is on is right. a Corvette. But, class, <clears> but the Hammerhead Corvette, I guess, and they... I think they made they made it clear where right. they showed the front of that ship. Yeah. Oh yeah, in the shape, and then the yeah, yeah. engines on full blast, yeah. and it's right. pushing it down. And <clears> in. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it was cool. No, it was excellent. Yeah. It's also something that's mentioned inside of Star Wars Rebels. So yay! Right, yeah. Rebels, rebels everywhere. Pat, you noticed there was something about Rebels inside of here. Yeah, wasn't like it? I said before, I wasn't a real big fan of Star Wars Rebels. I've, I've caught maybe a couple episodes, but I didn't know all the like. I just. Just cameos of stuff from Star Wars Rebels. I, mm. you know, we got was Saw Gerrera first. You know, he mm-hmm. kind of, but then I guess the the ghost is a ship from the the, the mm. cartoon. Okay, that's actually in the final battle scene, and I think there's a, a spot on Yavin where it's actually seen too. And then there's a, a R2D2 like droid they call Chopper mm-hmm. that's also in there, mm. and you know, just different things where they just you know mention things from Star Wars Rebels. I thought it was just interesting. You know, I guess kind of brings. People who are fans of that, you know, bring them into the movie, too. Well, and vice versa, too. I I just frankly don't have the time to go and watch something like Star Wars Rebels. But from what I understand, that and the Clone Wars series are all incredibly endearing. I just, I literally don't have the time to watch all of them. The, the storytelling in particular is very rich inside of the clone stuffs. Uh, again, they took the time, the pace, and the character writing inside of that to be serious about it. Mm-hmm. And not just throw things out and have it slap on like spaghetti. 
The soliloquying bad guy gets his. This was excellent. Mm-hmm. I love it when the bad guy is, you know, he's all can't actually move, and all he can do is move his neck high enough to see the ray that's hitting the ground, right. and then the horizon that is now coming up towards him. Well, and they I didn't. You know what I liked is they didn't kill him off with a laser blast or somebody. You know, the the revenge at the end where you know they stick the knife in him or whatnot. Right. He actually falls. His demise is based on his own product. Yeah. Right. Dies by his own creation. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I, I do love that. I, I think it's incredibly poetic, and it right. fits squarely into that whole, I love Shakespeare. So is it like a right. life lesson, don't build a Death Star, it's going to kill you? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that's got to be it. Your fate and destiny. Are... Don't recruit an engineer to build your Death Star. Right, right, right. right. To haunt you. More details and attention to uploading. We've already talked about this, but something I wanted to mention and what as you finally get to this and the uploading is happening after the warning the message is coming and then the uploading happens it reminds me very much of to take you back into terminator lore everybody remembers that the original terminator is sent back to kill sarah connor right, right. so that she can't have john connor as a child who then becomes the leader of that resistance right okay inside of terminator 2 a second and third terminator are sent back one to kill John Connor, the other one to protect John Connor, sent by John Connor himself to protect him against the second Terminator that's sent. Okay, so there's the second one. Inside of the third film, we've got yet another Terminator, two Terminators that are sent. One is the Terminatrix, the originally naked, gorgeous, blonde bombshell. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, by the way, was the same physical physique as he was 20 years earlier. Just amazing stuff. Anyway... So those two Terminators are there. But what happens towards the end of Terminator 3 is remarkable. And I originally hated it. What essentially happens, complete spoiler warning. So if you've not seen Terminator 3. I've not. You haven't. Are you going to see it anytime soon? <laughs> just say Why don't we review that first? No, no just kidding. No, go ahead. Okay. So in, inside. I can only spend like three hours with you here, Mike. <laughs> inside of Terminator 3, what happens is. John Connor makes it through all of it, but unfortunately, he's unable to halt Judgment Day. The bombs go off on both sides. Both countries, the world, laid to waste. And it still happens. The end. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Originally, I hated that. But again, as I've grown older and get able to go back and watch it more, what a bold choice. It's not unlike what happens here as well. Everything good happens inside of this film. Except, of course, where every single person you've met in the movie is now dead. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I like it in the uh, Terminator, as you just described. But with this particular film, I have, I have to be okay with it because i got to go back to the beginning. This was taken from A New Hope, you know, one line of dialogue, one particular scene that said many people died attaining this information or yeah. something to that effect. Yeah. And they held true to that line of dialogue, to that theme, to the entire foundation for this film, they didn't deviate. So I've got to respect them mm-hmm. for taking that course of action. It was bold, and it could turn an audience against you quickly. Very quickly. Um, because it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a downer, right? It's, it's definitely a downer. Where it eventually goes inside of Terminator 3, though, is that John Connor realizes that Skynet mm-hmm. is software, <laughs> That's the same big jump that happens inside of this film, where instead of it becoming this thing that I give to Pat, Pat gives it to you, and now we're okay, 
all that is erased inside of this film. It now becomes an upload that gets taken to something that now has to be handed off. Right, and that's the that's the mm-hmm. other side of the downer that we get where everybody dies mm-hmm. is they don't end the movie right there. Right. They follow it up, and the last scene, if you're a Star Wars fan and you went to the theater and saw A New Hope back in 77, you're going to love this last scene because it gives you the behind-the-scenes look. I mean, we've all seen how that movie starts, where they have the battle, the, you know, the Leia's ship. Yeah, yeah, Leia's ship's being chased and chased down, and it's boarded and all that. But to see Darth Vader coming down the hallway, taking out all the people that stand in his way, and how those plans exactly were handed off, uploaded into the R2-D2 unit, I guess to piece the last portions of that puzzle together was just epic for me. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's wonderful. The most endearing four minutes of footage ever? I would tell everybody to rewind to the last four minutes of this film. And not the four minutes that include the rolling credits and wonderful soundtrack. That's right. awesome. Right. But the last four on-screen minutes of what happens inside of this film. And I would tell you that it's probably one of the most astonishing pieces of film ever made. Oh, definitely. <laughs> what Chris was alluding to, and I think the vocabulary you're looking for, might be connective tissue. Right. This is one of the most important pieces of connective tissue in major motion picture film. Because it instantly takes what this film is into what that lore is right. inside of our lexicon. And it's wonderful. It's a, it's a puzzle piece that fits perfectly into what's shown. So, yeah, right. For 40 years, you and I, Mike Wilkerson and Pat, have been guessing what happened behind the scenes. Yeah. How do, they, how they do these find... rebels get this plan? <clears throat> I mean, so if you're waiting for 40 years for an answer, <laughs> Better you're, be pretty, good one. You're, you're pretty excited when it's a decent <laughs> one, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that's why it was so satisfying. And I think it might even be why it's more satisfying each time I watch it, because there are, are the little picks that I can grab that instantly add more flavor and detail into the into the storyline. I love that. I just got to say, I think the one of the best things was just you saw the darkness, and then you just hear the breathing, and then you see the red lightsaber. I mean, that yeah. right there. And then you see the Darth Vader, like I said before, the Darth Vader that is the Darth Vader. Yeah. And, and it, being able to realize now seamlessly i mean seriously there there are cuts from different camera angles but it is the uncut devastation that is darth vader yeah what it reminds me of is inside of again revenge of the sith remember when all the kids got murdered yeah okay well obviously we can't show all of that because it's murdering kids this is that veracity that we would have seen how disturbing yeah Yeah. oh incredibly disturbing right no holds barred that the the, the story that uh, Pat told me as he walked in today was somebody had mentioned that Darth Vader had grabbed a dude, thrown him to the ceiling, and then chopped him in half. Yeah. Yeah, he got to watch that is it exactly... several times just to even <clears throat> pick it up. Yeah. It, it happened so fast. It's so, it's so kinetic that you don't actually know what's going on. All yeah. you can do is go, my God, that's awesome. I didn't like the kids scene. You know me. Sure. And, and since we've been doing the podcast, like I said, you do something to a kid even in, in a movie, even if it's fiction. Yeah, I'm going. You, you and I are on the same page, but what I will tell you, especially about that film, is that the way that they show it and the horror, the instant horror in that one, in just those few child's eyes, right? when all, all you hear is the lightsaber and they, all they do is they shudder a little bit yeah, right. you know and they snap to something different. That's brilliant filmmaking. As, as much as we all want to dog on the first three films, or the, the second, first, original three films, yeah. little bits like that really give me quote hope for 
there being some brilliant filmmaking inside of those films. Because that is horrific. It, it, is the, it is the turning point for that character, Anakin. Yeah. Where you know that there is absolutely nothing left. Right. And he's going down a completely different path. Right. Okay. All right. So it's finally time to push to break. So we got a break. We got a trivia question. I'm curious, how long does the red and black wrecking ball scene last at the end of Star Wars Rogue One? Go over to our Facebook presence over at facebook.com forward slash two guys talking Star Wars. You can actually just put in two guys talking Star Wars and you'll find us over there. You can also get to us by going to two guys talking Star Wars.com. We will be right back. Everyone knows what identity theft is, right? Well, maybe not. Learn more by listening at scammercast.com. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective feature-filled multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Star Wars Perspective Review of Rogue One 2016, directed by Gareth Edwards. Before we went to break, we had a trivia question. Chris, do you have any idea how long the red and black wrecking ball scene, i.e. Darth Vader going gazonzo on the poor rebel dudes that are helping Princess Leia escape, how long does that scene last? It's not going to be long. Um, I would say a minute, 30 seconds. Minute 30. Okay, Pat. Two minutes. If we go by the Price is Right structure, as we always do here at Two Guys Talking. Bum, bum, bum. Woo. Chris wins. It is a minute and seven seconds. Yeah. And I figured it was long. But, you know, when you're, when you're looking at film, scenes in a film are a lot shorter than than you perceive and such. I remember totally uh, agree. I remember <clears throat> us going and doing um, book trailers and things like that. Shooting, <laughs> you shoot for twenty four hours. You come up with about a minute scene, and you know when you say that, you think that's not very long. But actually, a minute or two minute scene, you can get a lot in. Oh yeah. So a lot of visuals. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you go too long, it's ineffective. It's completely ineffective, right? Yeah. In fact, speaking of long, it's time to get to the what we didn't care for inside of this film. Inside of the bads. Every movie has the goods, but they also have the bads. 
Parking in a galaxy far, far away. I didn't realize this until my wife mentioned it. I didn't go and see it with her the first time, but she and I went and saw it. And she said, why did Krennic park so far away from the house at the beginning? He had to make his grand entrance. Right, right but... to build it up, you know. I guess, but you can see how deep we're going to have to go on the nitpicking inside of this well, film sure. because there's that. But it's something that she mentioned that I thought I'd put in here. Well, I, you know, those stormtroopers, you know, it takes them a while to warm wake up. up, you know, so they had to get Let a little, the caffeine little, kick in. little exercise. A little monster juice to get yeah. them going. Yeah. The Death Troopers. You'll remember seven hours ago when we started this podcast that the Death Troopers are something we put on the positives list, but it's also on the negatives. And it's because if you're going to strive and make troops like this, regardless of whether they're clones or not or anything. How about making some more of these guys? I think there's a limited supply, maybe. That's why only certain cool guys <coughs> They're get supposed to be an elite, guys, them, elite you know? unit. Right. You know, they can only afford that much armor. Right. You know, that elite armor. That's gotta it's gotta be budgetary. I keep forgetting that the Empire's got a budget. <clears throat> Son of a bitch. Yeah, they run out. <laughs> the promise of an adventure. I think one of the things I lament the most about this film is that we were absolutely robbed of Sagarera and Jin's story. Right. I mean, like, outright. There is no chance to go back. There are no deleted scenes to give us any light being shed on what might have been their midterm relationship when she was 10 year or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. That's all gone. And I, I'm, I know I'm worse off for it because I, I know I I'd have gotten for something sure from he was going to be one of the, the Motley crew that was going to be in, involved. I mean, you, you look at him, you're like, oh, this is going to be a guy that's going to be a main character, mm-hmm. in the, you know, the, the big alliance here and then he just dies yeah well not only that he stands there and dies that's something else we'll get into yeah he stays yeah jumping from planet to 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 planet i actually counted it so that's how far we went really and The only thing I can remember about bitching for this, and again, I'm plucking at straws because it's that difficult, is that we went too many different places with the giant label of the planet name someplace. I don't see. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. It didn't. It didn't bother me enough. I actually liked it because I thought it it didn't bother me enough. Perspective definitely adds more to the galaxy. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm with you. And if you're into the lore like me and Pat are. You're looking for those right. different planets yeah. that you've come across yeah. in a yeah. book or a video game. You know, I want to see Tython right. or uh, Ord Mantell mm-hmm. or what whatnot. And you get to see them right here. And, That's awesome. Right. I, I mean, I thought they all had a purpose, too. I mean, everywhere they went, it kind of followed the story. So, I mean, they didn't like they just yeah. went in there to throw a planet. In there. I, I, I think where I also remember seeing complaints about that was in uh, the Civil War film. The Civil Self-war. War. Changing. Yeah. 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 In that, well, not only that, but here's giant card, you know, Italy. Right, yeah. And I don't think I quite understand that complaint, especially here. You have to go different places in the galaxy. You can't just stay on one place. Otherwise, you've got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tickling us with Forrest Whitaker. This was in the positives as well because we were looking forward to a whole bunch of Forrest Whitaker. And he did an excellent job with that character, Mm -hmm. but... We just didn't get enough. We didn't get taken anywhere, I think, is even more, more pointed to where I would go. 
I really was looking forward to not only getting the the mentoring part of what we were supposed to get from Sagarera onto the girl that is able to live and survive. Well, we got none of that. Right. Well, but in his, I mean, he was the ultimate rebel. He wanted to see the Empire fall, but he gave up. Right. And that, that was kind of disappointing for me. I mean, this guy that was just had the will to survive all the things that he survived and continue to fight and he could have got off yeah he yeah. could have got out he, he yelled, keep the dream alive Why yeah or two keep the dream <clears throat> right. alive you yeah know, you're just standing there as the dust yeah. comes and you know and takes you right yeah. what i would really love to do and i'll have to see if i can't try and get my hooks into some contacts i would love to interview forrest whitaker to see what more he could tell us obviously i'm certain that some there's some sort of breach of contract oh, sure. blah, whatever is in place but i would love to know what he thought about his portrayal as it was seen inside this movie which i think he could tell us about right was it just efficient <clears throat> to kill him off to, mm-hmm. to save time because i mean it was a two-hour movie yeah so you know what or were there scenes that were cut that could have given us given us more in-depth yeah view of uh, his character yeah <laughs> bore gullet being lame slash boring yeah, is. I was really confused about that whole Borg gullet the is the creature. the octopus creature that's connected to the pilot to suck his brain dry. No and oh, then he's oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. Okay. And I, it, that is another piece of what happened with Sagarera that it felt like it was, there yeah. was some modification done and that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. And I, I did not like that. It, you could have removed that whole thing and it's just him being squeezed for information and it would have been just fine. Right. And not including that now your brain's going to be mush. That that whole thing was lost on me. I didn't see a purpose for it. Yeah. What good does Stormtrooper armor do again? Well, not All right, much. So, <laughs> it looks cool. You, you guys that, at least know what body face. armor is, okay? So let, let's start from there. Body armor gives you a semblance of, quote, protection. Right. In particular, if you're wearing the plates, you have even more. But right. if you're wearing, let's say, a bulletproof vest, you know that your core in whatever shape or size you're using right. is reasonably protected against probably smaller arms fire, period, paragraph. Right. Okay? If you guys put on that tactical armor with the larger plates and whatever yeah, else. it's a higher level, right? It's definitely a higher level. You put on a whole suit of armor. I'd like to see that you get shot maybe once. Or how about this? A wooden cane to the face. I don't think that you should fall down unconscious. I don't. Well, and go to uh, The Force Awakens where uh, Finn outlines that if they reverse the gas in the ship, it will kill them because their armor and their mask doesn't filter out gas. He did have something that it did protect them from, but I can't remember what. Obviously, it's not blaster fire because they all die when they get hit. Yeah. Right. And I mean, like, <clears throat> like just, you know, chink hits. Like, I can, there's, one, there's one stormtrooper whose face cheek gets hit. You can see the squib go off on his face. Why does that kill him? And, and that's, I, I, I realize we're working on super platitudes here where, looks, you're a stormtrooper, you're right. supposed to die. Yeah. I, I get it. Okay. But some semblance of this armor does something, it, it, I see it doing nothing. Well, and does is the, uh, the regular stormtrooper armor, is it, there a difference between that and the death trooper, the shock trooper, the flame trooper? I don't know. Those those are things. Those are details that uh, maybe they'll get into yeah. sometime, and they'd be interesting. I, I'm not looking for every stormtrooper but, to be a ninja, but guy with cane. Oh, I agree. Kicking well, a stormtrooper have, in the body. Have a, have a reason. Have, have a reason. It. Is it just because that's the uniform to wear? Because obviously not. You have the ranking officers are just in cloth uniforms. Yeah. 
So. Yeah. Saw Gerrera dies worthlessly for no reason in general. I think we hit that, too. We did, but I wanted to put it in here again, mostly because... If there was a teeter-totter where you want there to be a win, even though everybody dies, imagine if Saw was also in there with them fighting and doesn't die until the end. Right. He died for the cause. He died right. He died seeing and knowing that the hope went to the next movie, Got there. A New Hope. Right, right. And I think what Pat said strikes me probably the most about Saw Gerrera, which is that, I mean, he literally just stood there. Right, right. He gave up. And, and here's a guy who's been fighting. It, he lost. He's been losing limbs and all this right. And it's not. It's not in his character. I don't know. Right. To give up. Yeah. And that's why. Again, I would love to talk to Forrest Whitaker to see if there was some detail that could just be divulged. Maybe even that, even that we don't share, but just so that we know. I would love to know more about that character for yeah, sure because it was, it was a waste at the end. It was. You get these scenes where you have this character that's built up and it's out of character for the particular action that goes it, it reminds me of when i watched the force awakens and they inserted that character uh captain phasma yeah. and they get her into the room and who, she who, just by the way was an officer in armor for the first time apparently right right yeah. and she just all of a sudden gives up the plans yeah i mean just instantly and i'm saying if they wrap Without something any coercion right? well right but it, i'm saying <laughs> I'm saying, and the, the weird interaction between her and Finn, I'm saying if there's something more to that in the future movies, then I love it, right? You know, she's Finn's mother, sister, something like that, and, and she gave that up for some kind of tie. But at this point, it looks like there's no reason, and it's out of character. And Especially why, as much why, as they build up this guy yeah. is dubbed the peace dub, anti-rebel gorilla guy who's going to do all this, and then right. he just stands there and dies. Yeah, I, I, it is the sore point inside the film for sure. Whiny, complaining, puss rebels. I realize you got to have the whiny, complaining, puss rebels well, to you gotta have, have the, the other have side. The debate. Yeah. Yes. I just know that it made me angry, so I decided to put that in there. <laughs> but maybe it's supposed to. Right. <laughs> what was supposed to happen when Jin rose to the top of the tower... Remembering the rising TIE fighter reel. Right, exactly. What ha- What's going on there? I need to know what that was. Was that and somebody in the TIE fighter? I don't know. You know I don't know. Was that, was that, was that Krennic, a cut scene? Was that maybe Krennic foregoing the, what, 70-minute right. elevator ride? Yeah. With the music. <laughs> was that, that was a cut scene they cut out? Right. Well, yeah, yeah, out yeah. In inside of the original trailers, there was a... This TIE fighter. A TIE well, fighter and, and let me, spools up to Let me ask her. another question, too. There was a another scene that I think was cut, but it was a one-line dialogue scene where there's an interaction between her and Mon Mothma, and they're talking about how bad she was, you know, criminal, and, yeah. and they had, went and over that. that. But she too. said... But I, there was an epic line that she had, a great line where... She says, well, isn't this a rebellion? And they say, yeah. And she goes, well, I rebel. rebel. I rebel. rebel. Or something like that. And I thought that was a great line in the trailer, and I didn't see it in the movie. I I think that that might be the only one that I remember hearing something about. And I think it's where, in in the, quote, test audiences, which I absolutely hate, and the test audiences, that one didn't play. If I remember right, the the draw over it was, there was a question of, and her answer is, I rebel. Yeah, it was like, and, it, and and I think that's what fell flat someplace. So they decided this, to remove this. That. Is this is a rebellion, isn't it? Well, I rebel, and 
it builds up her character. I thought that was a great yeah. line. It definitely gives her a, a an air of confidence that may have been missing until she has the confessional with her father. Sure. So I I, I absolutely agree with that. And that's where we ask you guys, what did you find wrong in the bads? Of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Let us know what you think by going to our Facebook presence. That's facebook.com forward slash two guys talking Star Wars. You can also go to the search field inside of Facebook and just type in two guys talking Star Wars. The franchise. The franchise is typically something that Chris and I love to get to and then never talk about any other sequels because the movies that we like to review typically have a good end and don't need a sequel. Right. Or didn't need sequels. Right. In this case, that's not the case. No. Star Wars is a multi-billion dollar, with a B, right. property and franchise and marketing process. Right. And uh, that, that they're pouring so much money into these new lands that they're building inside of the theme parks. Right. And that the movies are now going to be coming out one every other year for the next 40 years, quote-unquote. Right. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. No. The building of books and stories, I'm certain, will also get more prolific. Right. Although I think they're going to be uh, way more compartmentalized and that there will be a whole lot less of, what if we wrote a story about the Empire's Sea World? Well, you know, you know there will there will definitely be boxes that have to be painted. They're all sanctioned, but apparently there are certain books that are allowed that they write and they use a tidbit of yeah. that book to put in the upcoming movies. For example, there's the Aftermath series of books and in the Aftermath series of books they have a character called Temin. I don't know if Pat's read that book. I've read those yet. <clears throat> Temin is a, a kid starting in the first Aftermath book and in The Force Awakens he is a X-wing pilot that has a minor part. Uh, the actor escapes me at the time. It was the that, that guy, J.J. Abrams. <clears throat> yes, it's that. Know. It's that guy that was in the Heroes. Heroes and. <clears throat> but anyway, the, he was in Heroes. He was the cop, was the cop hero. in Heroes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he yeah. yeah, he was in the uh, he was in the <clears throat> Mon Mothma um, scene, yeah. right? Yeah, him. Got it. He plays an X-wing pilot, and it's the same character. So it's those types of ties that they have to some of these mm. books. Mm. The other book that I mentioned, Bloodlines, has a. Uh, has kind of a background of how the first order comes to be, so you know comes about and, and interesting. So there are these these series of books that they allow to have certain things. I don't think they give them any. Not sure that they give them any insight into the movie, but they use little tidbits. I guess maybe when they create the movie. So mm. it it is compartmentalized. But I guess this would be a good time to mention too, if you're interested in the chronological order of all things including all the way back from the Old Republic, insert the movies. I'm not sure if they have the video games in there, but there is a website that Mike will link to on our website, I believe called Yoda's Datapad or something like that, Okay, that gives you a list the compendium of all, of all the, the books stuff. Okay. and the movies inserted in a chronological order. Nice. Nice. That's a great thing to have, and I, I think that's where I go when I think about franchise and Star Wars is that when I say the words "the keeper of Star Wars," what that actually means, I don't. You could get your arms around the franchise. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so big and it's expanded so much. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're you're going into uh, well Disney. I mean, look how big Disney is, right. and uh, and just all the other things that Lucas has been affiliated with. Right. It's, it's just 
it's huge. It's a movement. It's mammoth. It's a movement. What I what I love the most, though, is again, as we're talking about movies coming up, mm-hmm. we've got Ron Howard that's now taking over the Han Solo standalone film. Right. And I can't wait for that. that. Yeah, me neither. As much as I hate to see people especially go inside of something like a Star Wars film, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, having Ron Howard step in behind you, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I love Ron Howard as a director. I think that he understands not only the actor's mindset, but he understands this property wonderfully, and he knows right. the power of it. Not only being a director, but being in the industry himself. He understands what this property means. Watching him come in to make more of what we're going to see, I think, is stellar. Well, and having seen some of the, the, the actor, the main actor that they've picked out and depicted as Han Solo, he looks like him. Mm. Uh, I mean... Quite a bit. He's there's. If you go and you look at some of the pictures, mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job. Interesting, interesting. Uh, the franchise will be around a lot longer than any of us will. That's that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also something where I look forward to there being more franchise. I think a lot of times the franchise button becomes something really elongated and often unfulfilling. But that's not what's happening with Star Wars in general. So we come to the part to rate. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The scale works thusly. 10 is on top. The pinnacle of information transfer succeeding in the doom of the Death Star. A 1, not so awesome. Everything starts at a 7. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Chris and Pat, there are no halvesies. Pat, what have you got? So we did talk about some bads, and like I said, I really didn't see that many bads in the movie at all I'm, I'm, i think i'm gonna go with a nine i think it was a strong movie mm-hmm. like i said i love the, the the planet hopping stuff i mean just taking you to a different planet and it tied into the story and then you know just everything the acting was great mm-hmm. you had enough action to keep you interested and like i said before this brought back vader you know I, yeah that was one of the big things and it it wasn't too much where it overpowered and took over the movie but it was just enough sprinkled here and there just to know you know that's what it was i think that's incredibly well said chris what do you got i'm going with the same uh nine for me there were some moments in there that i think they could have done better but i mean overall i think that it was well put together especially me as a a star wars fan from the beginning i think that it it bridged the gaps that i needed it to bridge Mm -hmm. i'm i'm really all about closure and um i think that this movie did very well with closure I think that's well said. I'm going to kind of mirror your comments and use some of my favorite terminology, connective tissue. This film provides so much connective tissue between what was, i.e. the films many of you probably don't like at all, and what we know as in the original lore, the original Star Wars films. And I think it connects it brilliantly. The only part that it falls on is trying to graft on characters that were created more, way more recently. And then not fulfilling on the promise of there being this epic adventure between Sagarera and Jin as she continues her storyline into this. I am going to give this also a nine. So that's three nines from us here on the cast. What about you guys? What did you think this movie was worth? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's twoguystalkingstarwars.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris DiGiuseppe, your other host. And I'm Pat Doran, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.